When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke from BurkeReviews.com and with me as always is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight. How's it going, John? It's going pretty well, sir. Um, it is the, uh, what, second week of August, I think, now? The day's the 10th, right? Pretty much, yeah. Um, so we're going to be looking back at the month of July, 2019, and uh, the four big movies, or at least what we've deemed to be the four big releases of the month, uh, which this month was, you know, it was the biggest summer month, I think, as far as, like, what was coming out. I don't know that the box office resembles that, but as far as, like, the releases that were coming, I think there was a pretty at least three stood out amongst the rest of the summer as like these are big potential huge uh, box office um, bangers yeah I think out of the, the four which we always pick I'd say that this has probably got the four or th- oh, yeah three of the biggest films in one in one month already there is another one on there but uh, we'll get to that one but yeah mm-hmm. I think so, the three big films this year of this month sorry they're all anticipated for different reasons and Hopefully, hopefully we like them as well, but that's that's for all of you guys to find out. Yeah, and that's um, what this show is. Uh, we do this every month, um, and we look back at the four big movies, and we give our reviews of them, and we get to talk about them with each other, because for the most part, like we give quick overviews of what we've thought, and we might read each other's reviews, but we don't have deep conversations until right now about these movies. No, we save our we save our thoughts for the podcast. We do have deep conversations about other things, usually yes. food. But a, um, a lot of food. Co- we should start a food podcast um, or sushi or something like that. But we always save our yeah major reviews or the kind of minutiae for for this pod, which you're listening to now, and hopefully you've been listening for the last year or so. Yeah, it's it's man, it's already been just over. Uh, like we're approaching that year and a half mark, <laughs> yeah. I think already. Um, but before we get into it, just real quick check in with you. How you how you been over there in uh, in jolly old England? Not so bad. Been under the weather for the last few weeks. I haven't been able to get out and see as many movies as I'd like, but I've uh, managed to catch up now. So um, I'm happy about that. A uh, mixed bag of some of the things I've seen. Though I have missed one film, which I really wanted to see. And on the socials, I did mention in the video that I was going to go and see it. Never got a chance to, but we'll get to that later. But other than that, I know um, John's over the moon because the soccer season started over here in the, in the United Kingdom, so we're uh, pretty pleased about that. But, um, I mean, I don't want to get him too excited, so yes, we'll, we'll, no. we'll move off there. But other than that, not too bad, my friend. How about yourself? Uh, pretty good. Um, I, You know, we've talked on – I don't I don't know if we've ever really talked on the pod about it, but um, over there you have a subscription service at your local theater that you're able to go see movies as much as you want. Uh, and, yes, with Cine, uh, Cineworld I'm with. And over here in the states, uh, we had Movie Pass for a while, and Movie Pass went real like it went real big because it went to nine ninety nine a month, and you could see one movie a day every day. 
Uh, and that lasted for just under a year. Last August, just about a year ago from when we were recording this, they dropped that plan. They went to a, uh, a smaller, like, optional plan, and it really messed me up because um, I go to a lot of movies, and it helps me uh, defer the cost by not having to pay for each ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I tried other services. The uh, AMC A-List has started, which there's not really an AMC close to me. It's like an hour drive. Um, so I did that for a few months, and it was it's a really good service. And if you're near an AMC, I think it's a great option. But if you're not, it wasn't working for me. So I ended up trying Cinemia. And if you've kept up with the news, Cinemia went super corrupt and mm-hmm. tried to uh, steal a bunch of money. There's some class action lawsuits. Uh, MoviePass came back, and they like, all right, we're doing Unlimited again. Um, and so I did that for two months. But they had the clause where they could limit if you see too many movies. So I saw too many movies. So they started really making mm-hmm. it hard for me to see movies. And then on July 4th, they went under like it went like where they they took it all off but they wouldn't let you cancel your account but they weren't going to charge you but it was it was under for repairs they were trying to maintenance things and whatever and um it was it was basically i was really stressed out and i heard that regal cinemas was going to start their unlimited plan uh that would be um somewhere between 18 to 24 dollars a month depending Mm -hmm. on where you live and what theaters are available to you and uh what like at your theater do they have IMAX or do they have what's the ticket prices that kind of thing um so finally finally after a couple of years of like paying a lot or paying a very little because Netflix for 10 bucks was a great deal or not Netflix sorry movie pass for 10 bucks a month was a great deal um until it stopped being a great deal because they were losing money they were hemorrhaging money because of it where uh, this new Regal thing, I've had it now for just about two weeks. I've only seen three movies with it so far, but that's not because of them. That's just because of my time. And also, I haven't felt like rewatching anything I've seen this month. I, I really want to go rewatch one of the movies we're going to talk about today, but I haven't yet. But um, I'm so happy that I finally have this unlimited thing that you've had since I've known you and I've been jealous of. But now. We've said, I've said so many times to you on podcasts and in messages, I'm astounded that this hasn't been brought out earlier in the United States because over here this has been good we've had this for well over a decade and more now I pay um, uh, 17 pounds a month so 20 bucks a month like yourself mm-hmm. and I can go to see as many films as I want during the day all day every day do you know what I mean there's, there's no there's no yeah. the only limit is like I said if I go to book to watch Spider-Man tonight at 10 o'clock I can't book another viewing yep. uh, a future event until I've seen it well, actually, no big, big problem there. Obviously, no issue there. So I mean, yeah, we, I can, I just pop down the road or after work because it's just around the corner from where I work. Go and see a film after work. Doesn't cost me anything, um, and you get you get uh, discounted rates on the concessions. Yeah, we get ten percent off concessions with exactly. Ours. And it, it, we we have and the one I've got, we've got IMAX and 4DX and all that. So you you pay a a slight premium. So you may pay like yeah. three pounds or you know yep. a couple of bucks. But um, John I... sent me a John sent me an advertisement of the unlimited poster from florida over there and it looks it's dead on to what we have in the united kingdom so i'm thinking that they've uh was it regal have some they must yeah. be like a subsidiary of, well i was or a told company. by our local one of the managers at my local theater that uh regal was bought by a european company so i'm only assuming it is the same company that you've been using because it sounds like the exact same plan do on yeah. your birthday do you get a free large popcorn and a free drink 
Absolutely, yes. And I, I, get, just I, got believe mine. I get a card through the post as well. Yep, yeah, because I just got mine uh, for my birthday, which birthday, was last week. Jonathan Birkenfield. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, the the old 3 7 um, is hit <laughs> he down. He told me he was 25. Oh, I lied. Um, but <laughs> I'm feeling better because I'm also getting into shape. I am uh, 55 yes. pounds down from the beginning of the year. Um, That's incredible. So I'm, you know, crushing that and uh, had a nice salad about an hour ago for my, my oh. lunch today. Um, nice. As well as an hour and a half gym visit this morning, so you know, getting getting healthy and it's a it's a fun experience. I did none of that, but then again, I had um, we went for a walk earlier on to a reservoir. Sounds it's nicer than that's a nature trail. We mm. went for a walk there, so we went there for about an hour and a half. Then we had chicken wing for dinner, which is keto friendly. I'm not yes. on the keto diet like John, but it's keto friendly. <laughs> I didn't have beer. I'm off beer and I'm off all that now for just ah. to, to, again to to cleanse yourself and to make your make yourself feel better so um it's all about in this house now it's all about soya water um all this good stuff like peanuts or whatever whatever handful of those every day to make yourself feel better rice cakes and so i'm, mm. I'm taking john's uh, lead and trying to become healthier for just for health's sake isn't it? it's always good to lose a few pounds but 55 pounds in what seven months is that's ketotastic yeah the hard part of uh keto and and the unlimited service is popcorn is okay. full of carbs and so i have i have like three free popcorn sitting on my account right now and i'm just like trying to drag my wife to the movie so she can eat the popcorn <laughs> take your daughter does she eat it uh she does sometimes she's not always in sometimes. the mood for it but yeah i have two smalls and a free large um from because regal had a rewards club that i'm i've earned a lot of points going to the regal cinemas because it's my local cinema and i do want to point out this podcast is not sponsored by regal cinemas <laughs> yeah, other uh, cinemas are available yeah but uh i if you live anywhere near where i live or if you live near regal and you like you like going to the movies but you don't like paying 10 bucks a ticket or 15 bucks a ticket or whatever but you like the movies well unlimited is a really cool option for me it was a no-brainer i literally woke up um, the Monday it came out and it, uh, it was like 7.30 and I the first thing I did was register my account because I had been waiting all month because I had heard rumors that it was going to come out in July and it finally dropped and I was immediately a member. It's of... a no-brainer. It really is. We've yeah. been spoiled over here because I, I keep I am still dumbfounded that it hasn't made its way over there because it's such... It's for, you know what I mean? It's for 20 bucks a month. How many people are going to sign up to that? And they're going to make... Yeah. Yes, you can potentially see like 10 or 15 movies for 20 bucks. But like you say, you pay, you pay for concessions, you pay for this and that, mm. and the amount of people who will be signing up will eventually cover the cost. Because yes, United Kingdom is a hell of a lot smaller in terms of population in the United States, but it's these every single chain has an unlimited card, and they've all stayed afloat for yeah. best part of a decade and a half, two decades. So it, I just don't, it, I'm so glad you guys have it. Me too. And like this weekend, four movies came out for August, which we won't talk about any of these movies till next month, but. Um, four movies came out this weekend, not that they're... Uh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Five movies came out here in the States this weekend. Like, wide-release five movies. Mm-hmm. Next weekend, I think it's three or four more. So, like, we're in that August dumping ground, and we're getting a bunch of movies yeah. all of a sudden. So that unlimited... Okay, free now, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't feel guilty about watching not-so-great movies in August because, hey, it's unlimited. And yeah. you, you never know where there might be that surprise hit. Like, I really want to go see The Kitchen, um, which yeah, yeah. I might do this evening. It was on my intriguing list that was, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think I would shell out 10 bucks to see it normally because it's not one that I'm like, oh, I really got to see it. I'm not familiar with the – it is a DC comic property, which mm-hmm. they're not pushing big, which isn't surprising because DC. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like the cast, and uh, 
I, I think it, the trailer looks interesting to me. So I, I'm in. Um, it's like comedic widows almost. You know, that's the vibe that yeah, you get in the trailer. But... It is, yeah. I've heard mixed things about it, but comedic yeah. widows is. But that's not a bad thing, mind. Um, but comedic widows is probably the best way to put it. I, I may even steal that. Oh, very With good. Full credit. With I, full I, credit. Full sure, credit. of course. I mean, we, we borrow from each other. That's that's Definitely. why we I, connect. I will go over. I will be on the plane just to just to hoover up those free popcorns you have in your card. So yeah, I'll, I'll happily take them off your hands. That was one of the biggest things, uh, folks. When we started doing this podcast, um, I like to think of myself as cultured. But nonetheless, uh, Matt lives in a different world than I, <laughs> and finding those little differences is always compelling. And I one that I don't remember if we ha- I feel like it was off the podcast where we I found out that buttered popcorn is not a thing where you are. It's not a thing at all. No, the only time I've ever had it is probably about 18, 19 years ago when I went to the States to, um, I don't know what film we saw, but I got a feeling it was Cats and Dogs. But, um, <laughs> oh, pop- God. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I just doused myself in butter popcorn thinking it would be horrendous. But it was the best thing I've ever had. And since then, I've never had it because we don't have it here. And it's not the done thing to take a, a block of butter in with me and just dunk it on with popcorn. So it's not hot enough over here either So for it to melt. Well, I'll tell you, um, that that still shocks me because I've always known popcorn with butter. Like, that's definitely an American thing. And um, my wife really gets picky about the popcorn like if if the person working does not put enough butter she will criticize the theater the rest of the night like <laughs> this theater is really falling apart i'm like they put plenty of butter on it calm down like it's fine yeah. it's um, not like it used to be is it but uh yeah like <laughs> there's one theater where they have they, they will put the butter on when you get the popcorn but then they have a buttering station and she got extra butter i watched the person like they they put in like about half of the bag and they put butter on it shake it up put in more put butter in shake it up so it's like a parfait of popcorn and butter right and then we walk around and she starts putting more i'm like you got to calm down with the butter like it's too much it's too much butter um i'd love to be able to do that but we just don't have it so anyone listening from a uk cinema chain please introduce it and i'll i'll get your unlimited card if you do it and we'll promote you to to, to the day i die but your theaters have un un is it just salted popcorn if there's no butter? Uh, salted and sweet. They have all the other stuff as well. Um, nachos, hot dogs. Some of them have yeah, yeah. Some of them have beer, but obviously soft drinks, of course, and water. But and uh, ice blasts and all that stuff. But it's just not. We just don't have butter popcorn. It's just not the. Hold on. It's not the the, the thing here. It's just not. It's never been in I, fashion. Before. I would be doing our American audience a disservice if I didn't stop you and ask you what an ice blast is. An ice blast is a. It's like a slushy type okay, drink. Okay. Um, okay. It's one of those, so, but it's it's not quite it's it's more icy than slushy but apparently but everybody i don't but everybody here who i ask when they go to the cinema they always say i've got my popcorn and my ice blast i think it's by fanta i think it is other drinks are available interesting but um, i don't ever get one of those it's a coke for me and i'm fine we call them ices or slurpees slurpee is a name brand of the 7-eleven gas station chain but i know about those from the films yeah 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 yeah. we we definitely those even though that is an official name brand. Uh, I would say more people call them a Slurpee or a slushy is used from time to time. But never never have I heard Ice Blast, so that's a new one. I like that. Um, for our American listeners, that is what it is. And for our British listeners, please campaign for British for, you, for butter popcorn. I'll tell you, though, our friend Big Tuna, who we've done a few uh, different episodes with it. on the other podcast, um, he is he is one of those uh, moviegoers. He likes to get the slushy slash Slurpee slash Icy, whatever you want to call it. That is his go-to he also um, could have beat me on the fantasy draft, which will probably haunt him till the day he dies. But uh, good, good, good game there, Tuna. Oh, 
man, speaking of, um, our top five movies summer draft, uh, I ended up destroying, and it's technically not over, but um, Toy Story 4 was my, my big points getter, um, yeah. but uh, Lion King also helped. Uh, but yeah, I, I last I looked, I had, I was Hobbs and Shaw was the only movie I didn't have points for yet because it was before it came out. And I was up by like 200 points. And while Hobbs and Shaw is not doing as well as I had hoped, it's just all you know butter on the popcorn at this point. It's just the extra. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just ice in the ice in the blast. There you go. So, uh, if if you haven't listened to the top five movie summer draft that was, we did back in the beginning of um, May, um, I do recommend you check that out because uh, it looks like I'm going to be getting to make Mike and Corey watch something here in the near future. Um, once the summer ends but i think that's a good segue into the summer movies we're going to be talking about on this episode of bamp um uh, yeah let's do it shall we yes yeah, do it uh well like john said we have four films the biggest what we deem to be the biggest of the month so let's kick it off with number one which is or the first film shall i say uh which is undoubtedly one of the biggest films of the summer and it is spider-man far from home it's just crossed the one billion dollar mark. So it's the first Spider-Man film to ever have that accolade. Not even Spider-Man Three can claim that one. But uh, it's directed by John Watts again of Homecoming fame, and of course it stars Tom Holland, Samuel L. Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, Zendaya, uh, and a host of other uh, young and up-and-coming uh, heroes as well. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes high, 90 on Rotten Tomatoes. 69 on Metacritic, so still favourable, but about the film, it's been, it's, it's been a tough few years for Spider-Man. He just wanted to go to prom in, high, in, in Homecoming, just wanted to go out of that girl, Zendaya, MJ. He died in Infinity War, spoiler. He comes back in Endgame, and now he just wants to go on a vacay in Europe, and he can't even, just, he can't even relax in. He, the kid just wants to chill out, but it's far from home. Well, before I get into that, I am going to caveat that by repeating the fact that when I saw Homecoming... I wasn't the biggest fan. I wasn't overly enamoured by it. I thought it was just fine. It was okay. I don't think it was as good as a lot of people. And John, I know, is a big fan. But I, yeah. it didn't grab me. But this, to me, felt like what a Spider-Man film should be like. Far From Home felt like it. It was fun. It was adventurous. It was ludicrous at times, like it should be. But it also had Peter Parker at the centre of everything. Homecoming, I thought, was overshadowed yeah. by Tony Stark and other and that. But this had, this was more... Peter Parker and that's what I want now it's a fun bonkers silly crazy movie and I loved it Tom Holland is, is he's now you know becoming that character he's pitch perfect Zendaya got more development and she was great as MJ Jacob Batalon and Angori Rice I think they were the funniest parts of the entire film oh man their like development and arc is is incredible Drake Gyllenhaal was, he, he's having a great time as Mysterio he's hamming it up and of course it's, it's Jake Gyllenhaal the guy, the guy has chops, so that's always going to help a film like this. But um, the story, I don't think it had any particular, you know, surprises to it. It's fairly, you know, obvious what's going to happen. But after things like Endgame, I think that's what we needed—just a light, fun affair where you, you may know what's coming from a mile off, but it doesn't stop you from enjoying it when it's as well executed uh, as this. I think John Watts did a really, really good job directing this, and the writing and the performances make it make up for it completely. Um, I think the the teenage angle, which is what Homecoming obviously lent on, because let's not forget these kids are all teenagers. I think that was hand, handled well, and of course uh, there's there's an extra threat now. Other boys fancying MJ, and I thought that was well handled as well. So when that's your biggest threat, you know you're going to have a bit of fun. 
Um, and talking about Endgame, the film doesn't actually lean on Endgame as much as I thought it would. There are there are obviously references to it, of course there are, and Tony Stark gets references, of course, but they are used to actually develop Peter Parker, not and not like they were in Homecoming, where I felt like Tony Stark was there to actually push the story forward. This time, I think having Tony and Endgame and the repercussions of that actually gave Peter Parker more of an arc it had more depth to his character you know you know to the what Stark has taught him and what happened to Tony has really affected Peter and in the quieter moments of the film you can see him reflecting on that and I felt that was I appreciated that I thought that was really well handled um the action's good the ending obviously gets a bit too bonkers and a bit too CGI heavy but how many more times can we criticize a film for that it's just a norm now and it, it it looks good enough. It's it looks fine so as long as the CGI is good, it's fine. But again, for me, this had all the ingredients for a good Spider-Man film. Actually, also had the ingredients for just a damn good summer film. So for somebody who didn't particularly enjoy Homecoming that much, I thought Far From Home was a damn fine film. And I would I'd like to think John is on the same wavelength, but we have been surprised before. Uh, completely on the same wavelength. I, I love this movie so much. I did love Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big Spider-Man fan. Batman is my number one superhero. Sure. Spider-Man is a very close second and has at times um, pushed Batman to at least the side. So they're standing side by side rather than uh, Batman leading the pack. But um, okay. So a, a longtime Spider-Man fan, uh, going back to the old cartoon that we used to have on Fox when I was a kid, I used to read the comic books. Um, collect like when I was a kid but even as an adult not too long ago I was buying the books again um, in fact if I'm going to buy like one ofs of something it's either going to be a Batman or a Spider-Man related book those are the types mm-hmm. of books that I will come back to uh, time and time again um, I w- was a fan of the Tobey Maguire movies I would argue I am not anymore I do not feel like they hold up my last attempt to watch the first movie I did not make it through um Ooh. I know, and the most beloved <laughs> of all of them is the second one, and yeah. I, even when I saw it the first time, I didn't think it was as good as the first, um, which I don't have an, I can't, like, articulate why at this point, because it's been years, but um, it's one I need to go back to and either admit that I've been wrong about it or make a strong argument as to why I'm right, but yeah. um, the third movie definitely ended that uh, Tobey Maguire love for me. Um, I did not like that movie at all. Um, I do like Andrew Garfield in the role of Spider-Man. I don't like the movies that he is in. Um, I didn't. Like, I didn't mind the first one. I yes. Spider-Man. Didn't mind it. Yep, I agree. I I, I could get through a lot of it. Uh, there wasn't anything I hated about the first one. Um, it did feel a little long, and he is a little old to be high school Peter Parker um, as an actor. Um, and that's where Tom Holland comes in. Is he? And he's now getting into his twenties, but. Um, doesn't look it he doesn't he looks young uh he is an amazing actor i really really enjoy him his ability to uh emote is really high um plus watching him as a a real a person at least a persona that we get through social media and the news and stuff he is just awesome I, i am a big big tom holland fan right now and i love him in this role um I think uh, Far From Home, I, I've heard a lot of complaints that I don't agree with. I like Jake Gyllenhaal's character so much in this movie. Um, we do get Nick Fury, and uh, we aren't going to spoil any of the movies mm-hmm. that we're talking about, but inherently talking about Far From Home spoils Endgame. 
hopefully you've seen it already because there's no even if you've seen a trailer for far from home you know a major spoiler for endgame um as it oh, is a yeah. huge plot point in this film um and that's that is t- the biggest film of all time now yeah and uh tony stark's death and or more importantly sacrifice um at the end of endgame is kind of the emotional crux of this film it is it is tom holland as peter parker trying to you know deal with it um he's interacting with happy who is uh you know tony stark's bodyguard and also the director and uh i would say harbinger of the marvel cinematic universe as far as at least he got the the ball rolling john favreau um, yeah i would say so and uh i mean i love zendaya in this um i i think her and and um holland have great chemistry in fact i kind of think that about the whole teenage cast and in fact uh, you mentioned um uh Angerice rice and and jacob Bat- Batalon. Um, yep. their chemistry and the comedy that their two characters bring in this movie, which is brilliant. I laugh so hard, but I, I don't, I feel like the teachers are getting short shrift overall. Martin Starr and JB Smooth as the teachers taking these kids on a field trip. And I might be speaking because I am a teacher. And so maybe I just attach to the teacher characters <laughs> inherently, but I love them and they are so funny. And I love that JB Smooth constantly throws Martin Starr under the bus. Like it is <laughs> so great i i enjoyed i i like martin star in homecoming as well but i um and i'm a big fan of him from uh i want to say freaks and geeks but to be honest i've only seen a few episodes of freaks and geeks but i i love silicon valley and uh martin star is one of the the leads in that and i love him on that show um he's great here i mean the cast just in general is is phenomenal and um you mentioned the cg i i don't mind a superhero movie being cg full I do mind if it looks like crap, and it looked yeah, really yeah. bad in Ragnarok and Black Panther. Um, not all in, in either one of those, but two major moments in those movies fail because of the bad CG. They look like PlayStation cutscenes. They do. They look real bad, and I did not feel that way with this movie at all. I actually thought everything looked really good. Um, could I tell it was CG? Yeah, uh, definitely. But honestly, you know, maybe there's a reason for that, and I'm not going to get into that, but there could be. Um, and if you're a fan of like the expanded universe of not just not just Spider-Man's world, but the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think this movie does great work in that. Um, some, I've, again, I've seen some complaints about some of the choices. We won't get into any details here. I am okay with basically everything with this movie. Um, it's it's a high school film, and I am a big fan of like the high school coming of age type films, and this is that. Um, I think. Uh, I think it sticks to landing. Again, won't say what happens, but I think the ending is very satisfying. Um, and I think what the arc that we're seeing, it reminds me of, like, I don't think they've officially said this will be a planned trilogy or anything. And there was a stipulation in Sony's contract with Marvel that if this movie didn't perform uh, as well as it has, that they would get to the character back and Marvel would lose their ability to use him. Um, mm-hmm. l- luckily it made the money so we're definitely <laughs> yeah. going to get at least one more movie um, from Marvel's hands and it, it does feel to me like Parker's arc is a you know series like it feels like he's growing a lot maybe not as much in a singular film but in the course of the movies like we're seeing this huge character development and it reminds me of the comics a lot and that's what I love about this I think they've nailed the character and if they keep it up, um, I think it'll end really strong, and I do think w- other people will finally admit Tom Holland is the quintessential Spider-Man um, on camera. And uh, 
we had we've had two amazing spider-man movies not officially amazing <laughs> spider-man right hold on we've had two excellent spider-man movies yeah. um in the last year because uh into the spider-verse was one of my favorite films oh, from last yeah. year and then this movie i also really adore um i don't know if this will make it into my top five uh like spider-verse did um spider-verse just had so much uniqueness about it like the soundtrack and the the animation styles and also getting miles morales on screen um was just amazing to me and uh far from home does a lot of great stuff but it's still like there's other movies i think that are going to stand above it but i i did have a great time with this and um i am looking forward to whatever happens next both with spider-man but also with the mcu in general like i'm I'm curious to see what happens after Endgame. Do they stay relevant? Do they start to lose quality? Do they get better? Because it's hard to believe that it could get better, but I think it's possible. Well, individually, the films can only get... Well, surely. Well, they can only, well let's face it, they can get worse or better, but after Endgame, you'd think there's going to be a real push now. Certainly with the films that have been released for the next phase, some of them, they could really push on and make some, I think, some pretty good individual films all obviously still connected to the wider universe but there's a couple on there which make me think these could actually be pretty damn good and you know that kevin feige's not going to settle for you know half arse he's going to want the best so i've got high hopes for the next phase and ongoing of course uh, this is a marvel film so stick around for the stingers afterwards check them out afterwards yeah uh, what we didn't mention though was um you mentioned john favreau his his chemistry and comedy with Marissa Tomei as well is just excellent. The way the way they those two uh, communicate and get on and how that and how Peter and everybody else reacts is just hilarious. And yeah. that is another thing that worked for me is the humor works. Sometimes Marvel humor doesn't always work for me. Mm. Sometimes it can be a bit too yeah either on the nose or just not funny. But this film, I was I was laughing my head off. For the, yeah. for the majority of it. And I think what you say is actually quite interesting as well because I can't I can't see a satisfying arc for Tom Holland's Peter Parker in just three standalone films. I know we can throw in Civil War, we can throw in Infinity War and Endgame, um, chuck those all in as like little moments of where the character grew. But I can I think I can see, or I'd like to see, Tom Holland getting four, five films maybe, if obviously so, the Sony Marvel contract permits to really, 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 you know, develop this character. And why, why not? Because at the minute, he's still just a kid in high school, which is Peter Parker, but why not give him two or three more, four more films? Uh, obviously, it, um, the the box office obviously will, will demand that or not, but I just think that a trilogy may not be enough because the films so far, Homecoming was well-received. Yeah. Uh, this one has been well-received. If, if they end Peter's arc in the next film, Will it really be that satisfying, depending on what it is? I'm not sure, because Homecoming was just a kid who wanted to go to prom. This one, obviously, he's gone on vacation. What can they do? He can leave high school? I don't know. But I just think that they could possibly stretch it out, you know, story permitting, for a couple more films for Tom Holland, rather than just sticking within the boundaries and a rigid structure of a trilogy. But I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, no, I, I, I can agree with that completely. Um, I think... You know, I'm I'm fine if they want to do more. I think I'm looking forward to at least, you know, what I mean, like at least we'll get this. Um, oh yeah, I think we'll definitely get one more. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then I'll, I'm content. But yeah, if we get more, yeah, I'm not going to complain. I, I as long as they don't lose quality, right? Like as of long course, as they yeah. stay 
like this I am in um, for sure because I uh, I love the cast um, I do want to see what happens um, you know oh, th there was some things that they alluded to from homecoming that I thought we were gonna I'm sorry they alluded to in homecoming that I thought we would get here um, and then they didn't really bring it up and that was kind of disappointing to me um, I don't want to get into specifics I guess because then it would reveal that it's not in far from home or also it could be a technical spoiler for um uh homecoming which again while it's old we try not to just throw spoilers out randomly um but yeah uh i'm i'm all in like if they want if they want to do uh 10 more movies as long as they don't diminish and return you know as far as story goes i don't care about their their box office they can make whatever but yep. um as long as they don't you know get bad uh, I'm fine with them making more for sure. I'm I'm all in. I, I love I love him as Parker, and uh, I love I love their take on this universe. And I, I I love like Homecoming has a John Hughes kind of vibe to it, and I feel like that's not gone here. But maybe like because of the vacation, like there is you know the humor. Maybe it makes me think of like National Lampoon's Vacation or mm -hmm. yeah. um, that next tier of like the '80s movie and because uh, it's still that high school drama like how do you tell the girl that you like her and how do you you know um can you put your goals on the on hold in order to have a relationship and his goals are extreme saving the world and such <laughs> but um i mean there's a lot of movies that deal with that like you know do i go off to harvard even though we live in a small midwest town do i leave the girl of my dreams to go to school somewhere else i mean he's dealing with that just on a much grander scale and i think it's uh it's super relatable as a result no well yeah i agree and again these are the kind of things which they can you know feasibly stretch out over the course of a few films and tom holland's never going to age so he's a bit like uh, paul rudd so he can play this he can play the same character for years and just on tom holland when you watch an interview with him isn't it weird to hear him speak in his native but british accent yes it sounds so strange and he even he said it himself that he finds himself slipping into the U.S. accent quite a lot now, depending on who he's talking to, and people are amazed when he, you know, speaks of this, you know, fairly well-spoken British accent, and it still throws me. And he's from the motherland, so. Um, but no, he's. I'd like to see more of him in this, and I like. I like the Spider-Man films. I always have done. He's always a, a character I've re I've gone back to see, starting with those Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire films way back when. The nostalgia keeps me going back to them. Is what it is. I get. I haven't seen them for a little while now, but it's just the sort of memories of being what seventeen or eighteen, how old I was when they came out, uh, and going to see them at the at the cinema. And of course, this this was before we had cinematic universes, and it was just the only universe we had was within this trilogy. So it's oh, that was cool, awesome to me to know we were just seeing like these contained stories. They looked great at the time. I thought Toby Maguire was great as Spider Man. Yeah. Again, I'll go back and reevaluate, but I still think he holds up. Uh, of course, we get the iconic imagery, the fights, the baddies, apart from in the third one, um, and then we do get the emo Peter. So there's something about those films which always keeps me going back. So maybe who knows? Maybe in five, ten years' time, I'll look back on something like Homecoming differently, and um, I'm True. sure I'll hold Far From Home in you know as high esteem. But this surprised me though how much I enjoyed it. So uh, yeah, I couldn't recommend this more. Well, I'm definitely glad to hear that since you were not a big fan of Homecoming, which makes me sad because I, I do love Homecoming. But I, I, <laughs> I love... expected to find this just okay, to be honest, because I was worried about a an end game hangover 
what's that this is the, the mm. film after endgame that's just a big high what can how how can they release how can spider-man be anything other than maybe a bit deflating but i had a yeah. blast of this I, I i enjoyed it more than i did endgame in terms of just having you like a, a more a more a better time in the cinema and i know that'd be mm-hmm. heresy to a lot of people but i had a great time with this film well i think i don't know for sure um what you know like if you mean to say because endgame isn't trying to be as fun as this movie is for sure because there's a lot of like the weight of what's happening in endgame is is such a it's surrounding and overwhelming at times um where this movie's definitely trying to be a lot lighter with still dealing like still tackling that that difficulty but um it's definitely got more of an air of humor uh so yeah it's i think it's in this perfect spot in july i think it's a really fun movie um you know even if you skipped endgame you could you could come into this you would endgame would be spoiled for sure but you could still like pick up what's <laughs> happening and uh i think just enjoy this movie as a, a you know, continuation of homecoming yeah I, I agree yeah all right so next i don't know how you feel about this movie to be honest I, if i feel like i might have heard something but our next movie for july is stuber and you didn't uh mishear me it's s-t-u-b-e-r stuber um directed by michael douse who I'm not super familiar with, but he's done some stuff. Uh, Dave Bautista, Kamel Ninjani, uh, Mira Servino, uh, who I've not seen in a movie in some time. Uh, Natalie Morales deserves uh, reference, and um, I'm going to mispronounce this name for sure. Eco U.S. U.S. Eco Iwes. Eco Iwes. That's probably more likely from the raid, uh, which is kind of a sad thing about him being in this movie because he's kind yeah. of not used well. Um, he's still cool, but um, Betty Gilpin, who keeps getting these little small bit parts, and she is such a good actress. Um, she is on uh, Glow, the Netflix t- uh, TV series about yeah, the yeah. gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Um, she's so good in that, and she's really, really good in um, Rebel Wilson's uh, Isn't It Romantic earlier this year uh, side character, and then Karen Gillan. So you get a, a Guardians of the Galaxy connection in Stuber with Karen Gillan and oh, Dave yeah. Batista. Um, Although she's not in it super long, but she is at the beginning of the film. Um, all right, so this movie did not get a lot of love from critics. A 42 Rotten Tomatoes, 42 Metacritic. But I'm going to say this straight up. Um, I Myself and uh, David, who's my editor over at Burke Reviews, we went and saw this middle of a day. And we, had, we were alone, like completely alone in the theater. There was nobody else in the theater. We had a blast. We were laughing, you know, cracking up, just <laughs> enjoying the humor. And I will say now, I already mentioned Silicon Valley. Camille's, uh, uh, in fact, Camille and Martin Starr are on Silicon Valley together. They're they have this very interesting relationship where they're they're more like frenemies than they are friends. But um, I love them on that show so much. Camille has a direct line to my funny bone. Um, I find him to be one of the funniest working comedians. I've loved almost every role he's had in a comedy usually he's a small little bit of a film up until the big sick where he finally got his big leading role and obviously he co-wrote that with his wife um i i I just i don't know that he can be funny and i not laugh even if the movie around it isn't great and that's what i'll say about this there are major problems with this movie um one of which is the jason bourne-esque action sequences that look awful they are really bad they are overly shaky um the editing is choppy you can't really tell what's going on and when you have um 
I mean, I don't know what Batista's stunt work has been in the past, but the action sequences I've seen him in in other movies are usually fine. And then uh, I love the raid. Um, so, Eco Uas, I say it right this time. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, okay. I'm going to take that. Um, he's great, <laughs> and and to c- cut his action sequences like they do in this movie is is tremendously sad. Now, I will say I feel like this movie's trying to be a comedy first, action second. Um, and I think it works with the comedy. I think the action, unfortunately, fails in almost every instance. Um, and some of the, the comedy in the action sequences is expected and, and stupid. But if you are just there to enjoy the funny, it's funny. Like, this worked with my sense of humor um, almost completely. Uh, again, I think there are some major, maybe, like, plot issues or whatever. But Kamel cracks me up time and time and time again. Um I'm trying to remember specific moments that really work for me. I know there's a part where he basically just gets to start ripping on Batista where like he's, he's fed up and he just does like, basically it's like a, a roast in just like impromptu. And it, it killed me. I, I laughed so hard during that sequence. Um, yeah. To me, Kamel is um, the best. Like, I think he's the best comedic actor right now. It's like, it's, if he's attached to a comedy, I'm more inclined to go watch him than I am like a Kevin Hart movie. Um, but that's, again, that's my taste. Maybe Kevin Hart makes you laugh like that. Kevin Hart often, I feel like his humor is really trying. Like, he's like, look, I'm funny. And you're like, mm, maybe not. Kamel's just like, I'm doing this thing. Isn't it kind of funny? And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. It's amazing. And again, that's a taste thing. I understand if you don't feel that way, but I had a really good time with Stuber. I don't think it's an amazing movie or anything. Um, I'll buy this one when it's cheap, you know, like five bucks or less. And I, this is one I could easily throw on in the background and just laugh, um, you know. And if this, to me, I don't do basic cable anymore. Like, I mainly only watch things on streaming. But if this were, like, back in the day, like in the 90s, this would be a movie that I would probably rewatch a million times. Because once it hit TBS or whatever, I would just have it on, you know. And it would just play whenever it was on cable because it's that kind of turn your brain off laugh at the, the funny stuff don't pay attention to it outside of that um it definitely wants to to pay to be like lethal weapon or um even like a rush hour and i don't think it's it's definitely not as good as lethal weapon and it's probably not as good as rush hour um although it might be less obnoxious than chris tucker can be because chris tucker can be pretty obnoxious in rush hour um but yeah, that, that's my take on Stuber. Um, I feel like you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. <sighs> ah. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I wasn't a massive fan of Stuber. And, I mean, Dave Bautista, he said he wanted to be seen as a serious actor. He wanted working with directors like Denis Villeneuve and working on big projects like Dune. So let's talk about Stuber now. Um, Dave... This isn't one of those films, I don't think. I think you should have you should have made that comment a bit later down the line. Yeah. But um, I I I didn't I wasn't a fan of of, of this film. I I want I liked the premise of it. I really did. I thought the I'm not a man, I, I don't mind Dave Bautista, but I'm not the, usually the biggest fan of him. I but I, I like him, but I don't. He's not. Whereas in terms of act, uh, wrestlers, come actors, you know, obviously Dwayne Johnson, John Cena, I find slightly more. Uh, palatable, palatable sometimes, but I don't mind Dave Bautista as much. But Stuber, I didn't, I, I couldn't get on board with this film. To me, it was just a, 
as you've kind of, kind of alluded to, it's not one of those summer films where you watch it, you, probably, you, could, you may have a good time watching it, but for me, it's instantly forgettable. I've seen it, I don't ever want to see it again. But because, like I said, I didn't like the story. I thought I didn't like the story. I thought the, I didn't think the acting was particularly very good. I didn't like you've just said as well because I've got my I've got a note here that says action not captured well, and it wasn't. It was no. it was frantic, but not in a good sense. It was frantic to the point where you couldn't actually see what was going on. Yeah, and, especially um, that opening action sequence. It, no, it is yeah, brutal. It's it is, and um, you mentioned Michael Dowse. He directed Goon, uh, an ice hockey oh, yeah. film with I like Goon. Scott, which I love that film. Yeah, that was really hockey, good. But, um, but the action in that film's better, and that's even more slapstick. But yeah, yeah I, I agree. Camille uh, Nanjani, he absolutely saves the movie with his, you know, that deadpan approach, his comedic timing. Because otherwise, I think the movie with a, with a, with a different comedy actor in that, the film doesn't work. I don't think. I can he's agree with that. Definitely charm. depending on the performance, but he nails it's, this performance. It's, it's his charm and his affability. Like he's one of those guys you look at and think. I like this guy. I'd love yeah. to just sit down on a couch and talk, well, to talk anything with this guy. And it comes across in his, in, in, in his work, like he's mentioned, The Big Sick, which was phenomenal. Um, and his comedy work is very good as well. But I just didn't find the film outside of Camille that funny, really. I, it relies too much just on curse words. And I'm not a prude. People who know me know that. But I just thought it felt like they just every other word they just threw in a bad word just because. And this really odd slapstick, rather than just having decent comedy um but you mentioned kevin hart i, I agree with that as well camille appeals more to me because he's got like i say it's more that sort of deadpan dry dry approach mm-hmm. whereas kevin hart i do find kevin hart funny in his films generally yeah, yeah he's kind of louder and he yeah he's more sort of expressionistic with his eyes and his mouth and his face and he's louder but i don't mind that but yeah camille maybe it's because it's i can sort of see a british comedy aspect to how he delivers his lines and his comedic timing because we all know we've got the best comedy over here. Let's not fight. Um, but I, I like Camille. But I don't think comedy, the genre, has actually been... I've said it to death now. I don't think this has been a comedy. As, it's been one of the failing genres over the last few years. It we've has. had a few good films. Obviously, like Girls Trip and stuff like that. Oh, and we've yeah. got Good Boys coming out soon, which I hear is quite good, but then also yeah. here isn't. Maybe that will change it, but... But that one's definitely going to be relying on that the vulgarity as its as its source material, you know. Yeah, like, and it, but if it, if it works, because I mean, I don't, I've got nothing wrong with vulgarity. Mm-hmm, I mean, I, mm-hmm. in in a film, as long as it isn't, as long as you can tell it, it hasn't been done just to get, you know, like fifteen year olds to kind of go, <gasps> wow, this is badass because somebody said a rude word. If it matches the tone of the film, fine. But I just felt at times in Stuba it just felt like it was just forced in just to give it that kind of more hard-edged approach. But I I wanted to like this film, and I wanted to believe that Kumail and um, Dave Bautista would gel well together. And they didn't. They weren't bad together. I thought they were fine, no. but yeah, uh, it just didn't work. And as for Uko Ways, outside of the raid, I mean, he's in A Force Awakens, and they wasted the hell out of him in that film. He wasn't used well here, so no. I want to see him in a film soon where... He is given something meaty to do outside of, you know, just having a few, uh, a few, a few action scenes, you know, fleetingly here and there. So, um, Stuba wasn't, it wasn't one for me, but it has doubled its budget. It's just shy of 31 million now. I think the budget was about 16 million. Oh, so it's, it, it's, it's on its way good. to making a profit. So, and you know, was, well, good, uh, good on the studio for that, but yeah. it wasn't for um, I will say too, like Batista is one of the funniest parts of uh, Guardians 2. Um, like I, I feel like 
volume one he's fine but volume two i think he's got some of the funniest moments like the the stealth joke where you know where he's not moving or whatever and then um the way he talks to manis and it is because he's like deadpanning all the time i think batista's proven that he can be funny and i think he's funny at moments here but it's definitely camille that makes this movie um all the way around and i also i did like the actress i forgot her name in I'll pull it back up here in a second, but that played uh, Batista's daughter in the movie, um, oh, um, Natalie Morales. Uh, I like her in this, and I th- I think I just saw her in something else. Um, but yeah, like the plot of the movie is not very good, and things like that. Um, for uh, Stuber, it's not like the most innovative or anything like that. It's just passable, but it I didn't nothing was bad enough to make me not enjoy the humor that Camille was bringing. So I, I laughed and had a good time. Um, again, don't think it's a revolutionary comedy. I don't think it's the best comedy of the year even, um, by any means, but I went in kind of with my expectations down because I'd heard bad things and I laughed and had a good time. And that's all I was looking for from this movie. So for me, it gets a thumbs up only because it gave me what I wanted. I I was able to have a, a really fun time at the movies. Also hour and 33 minutes didn't overstay its welcome it got to the point and made the jokes and left and that that works really well for me especially you know a movie that i was kind of on the fence about going into and hey it, it worked so i'm happy that's a comedy if, if a comedy can make you laugh just what it's there for and um, yep. same same for horror same for drama if it can make you feel what it's meant to then it's done its job and it didn't it just didn't this one didn't work for me yeah um, that's no, Morales. Sure. she was in battle of the sexes recently um, and she also had a voice it. role in Into the Spider Verse as well, so a nice little ah. tie into the to the last film there. But um, I, on Dave Bautista, he obviously said he wants to be seen as a more serious actor, and again, you know, respect for that. He mm-hmm. wants to uh, expand and develop his talent, which you know I've got big respect for anyone that's to do that, especially working with someone like Denis Villeneuve in a film like Dune with the actors around him. I'd be really interested to see how he him in that when he's surrounded by that caliber of actor or caliber of actor and director because a lot of people were happy with him in Blade Runner 2049 for the scenes he was in um didn't really do in a couple of scenes didn't really do that much but a lot of people seem to think he was very good but I'd love to see him in a film like Dune now I don't know too much about Dune or his or his role so correct me if I'm wrong but I'd love to see him have more serious dramatic speaking parts with the actors of that caliber around him, just to see, just to see him, you know, right up his game, and you know, so he can come good on his word that he just wants to be the best he can be. Which I'd, I'd like to see the guy succeed. Anybody wants to really uh, test themselves up against, you know, these heralded uh, performers and and talent, good for them. So I'd like yeah. to see Dave Bautista, you know, you know, smash it in Dune. I don't know what his role is. You know, if anybody out there's listening, you can tell me if I'm wrong. But I'd love to see him have like a a real sort of meaty role where he can get his teeth sunk in and show us actually he's learning from every film like I mean Dwayne The Rock Johnson from his early films to now there's a clear progression he's still never going to be top you know A-list top quality actor but he's very he's a more than serviceable actor now you know he's a he's a very decent actor in his own right and I'd like to see Batista get to those levels so um, when that does come out Dune I'll be interested. I'll be watching. Uh, I'll be watching his career with great interest. So, um, yeah, this just didn't work for me uh, in Stuba, especially when he said he wanted to be recognised for bigger and better roles. But if it works for you, though, that that's that's all you can ask for. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, I think that's enough on Stuber. That's probably more. It's almost as the runtime of that movie. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. I think the next film. The next film. I'm interested to see John's uh, deeper thoughts on this, and that is, of course, The Lion King, the 2019 version, obviously directed by that man again, John. Favreau and yep. it stars amongst others uh, Donald Glover, Beyonce, Seth Rogen, Shira Tewesia Four, John Oliver, Billy Eichner, uh, Keegan Michael Key, Eric Andre, Afro Woodard. I mean, Christ, we could go on all day. Yeah. And but uh, how many people? James Earl Jones has to be named. Uh, of course, we can't forget um, Darth Vader himself. So um, yeah, just a quick one. I, I think 1994's Lion King is the best animated film of all time for a glut of reasons. The the emotion in it, the story in it, the voice work, I think the songs are incredible, I think the soundtrack's brilliant. It just does everything I want in an animated animated film. It's one of those timeless classics. Now, Disney have obviously uh, said, right, John Favreau, you did a great job with the Jungle Book. Do your thing. Make another photorealistic movie, plus give us some of that pretty green. Bring us money, dollars. Co- cover the Pride Lands in cash, if you can. And... He's done that because the film's made 1.2 billion. It's already on its way to becoming one of the biggest films of all time, box office-wise. Now, I found this hard, fairly hard to review. Not hard, but complicated because those listening who haven't seen it may have heard that it's fairly similar to the animated film. And I say that loosely. It's nearly mm. identical in in a lot of senses. This version is half an hour longer, so it can't be labelled as entirely identical yeah. it is longer but it's almost like re uh, reviewing a film you've already seen before I put in my review that it's a bit like watching your favourite band re-record you know their best album just two years like two decades later the songs are the same it's just a bit different a bit off it's not quite the same as it was back in the day when it you know when the magic happened and I think that's the problem I found with The Lion King is that they've tried to capture that lightning in a bottle again and it hasn't worked the story is great. It's The Lion King. The story is, you know, it's a great story. The characters are, we, the characters are those that we know and love. But there's something missing, and it is that heart, and there's a soul, and there's a charm that's missing. And I don't know if it's because the animation, which I'm going to say now, is frighteningly good. It's terrifyingly good. The animation, I thought, or the or the photorealistic animation, I thought it was fantastic. But it looks so real that. I don't know if it loses a bit of something because of that, because it's like whereas the animation, the animation had that quality, that sort of like 2D hand-drawn quality, which lent some lent a certain charm to it. Because this looks so real, it took something away from for me, um, if that makes any sense. But it, which is so in terms of this film, I didn't find it as enjoyable as the animated film, despite the fact that it's pretty much the same. The voice work is fine. For the most part, I think it's great. James L. Jones is Mufasa, just just pops. Nobody else can do that. They do voice modulate his him at certain points, and he does sound like Darth Vader, certainly in one scene, which I giggled at. Um, <laughs> I thought Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner were the stars of the show yep. as Timon and Pumbaa. They, I thought yep. they were great. Seth mm-hmm. Rogen was born to play Pumbaa. Um, as you know, John Oliver's Zazu, I didn't think he had the same sardonic quality of Rowan Atkinson. And I think John Oliver is... I don't know. For me, he's kind of hit and miss for some people. I don't mind him, but I can tell. I think he rubs some people the wrong way. Um, Shiwetel Ejiofor, his scar. Now he's threatening, but it's not Jeremy Irons menacing. And I am in no means trying to fanboy 
and say that nothing can ever top that animate the original of the film because it can. I just thought Jeremy Irons, if they could, if they can get James L. Jones back from Mufasa, you can get Jeremy Irons back to voice Scar because his Scar was just menacing. He's dangerous. His Scar was. And I thought Edge of Fours lacked that somewhat. Um, musically and vocally, it's fine. The old classics get some upgrades like they did in Beauty and the Beast, mm. but the new songs are a bit limp. I if you're a fan uh, of Beyonce, they're not. They haven't really used her well. I'm not a massive fan of Beyonce, but I don't think they use her as well as I could do. I and think upgrades sorry, are. Oh, it's okay. I think well, up, upgrades are a generous it, term because it's mm. a generous. Uh, they, they get yeah. They get a, a flashier re-recording. Doesn't mean a, yeah, in upgrade. I don't mean in quality. Yeah. They just sound more. They sound more 2019. Gotcha. But again, what can I say? The bit like the bits that you cried about in the first film. You probably cry about it in this film because they're the same. Um, the big moments are still there, but you know it's, they, they just lack the power. And especially some of those big moments that we all know from the '94 film. If you haven't seen it, you won't mention them. But if you have, you know what I'm on about. They're still sad or they're still emotional, but they lack the punch. And all I could to kind of kind of close out my initial thoughts on The Lion King is, you know, there's nothing actually wrong on the exterior of this film. Everything is good, you know. The visuals are good. The voice work is good. The music's fine. The big moments are fine. But it's it's inside is what is missing. It's missing that heart and soul, and it's missing that kind of emotional, um, that emotional heartbeat, the pulse, which got me so invested in that uh, 1994 version. So, it's you know, it looks beautiful. I can't say that until the cat the cows come home. It looks stunning. But I don't know. It's the Lion King. For a 2019 version there's nothing really much done to it so that's what I think I mean I enjoyed it of course I did but it's not It's it hasn't even I don't think it's anywhere near my top 20 25 of the year because it's just a redo of a film I've already seen before um, but for yourself what did you think man? well I think I've even soured on it more since my my screening of it as I've thought on it and, and uh, dwelled on it um, I do want to preface I don't think The Lion King is the best anime movie of all time um, I I don't even know if I can call myself a fan. I've seen it. I, I, when it came out, it was at a time when I didn't like movies that were sad or made me feel sad. And this movie definitely does that, right? Like, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a major part of it. Well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I kind of kept a distance from it. It wasn't a cartoon like I returned to like many, many other ones that I've seen many times. Um, and I, I don't have that attachment that so many people do. I mean, I have I don't know how many people I've heard say a similar sentiment about The Lion King since the remake was announced even. Just people like, oh, that's my favorite. It's the best. And I'm, I've never felt that way. Again, I don't think it's bad or anything either. I just, it never was that for me. Um, so I think that works in your favor though as well. It, potentially. It, it could. It, it didn't. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if anything, it made me even quicker to criticize this one. Um, because I do know how many people love the original, and I am uh, kind of on the uh, the anti live action adaptation, yeah. shot for shot type remake, like we got with Beauty and the Beast, and we got with this, um, and that's what was surprising to me. Because if you look at Jungle Book, Favreau did his own thing. Yes, there's homage to the cartoon, but it is not a remake of the cartoon. It is its own thing. There's the two songs, but they do are very differently than the original um and and that's photorealistic except the animals were allowed to have human mannerisms 
that mm-hmm. make them feel like a cartoon and thus make them have personality. And that's what's missing in this film. And that, I wish, was my own thought. But if you read any review that is negative about this uh, live-action adaptation, if you can call it that, of The Lion King, it, one of the biggest criticisms was these characters are boring because they they made them not only photorealistic looking, but they made them animalistic. They refused yeah. to let them have human um, attributes and that takes away so so much from any of the personality that you have in the animated movies um, and it kills this film all the way across the board for me um, I, I do the only characters that had any personality were Timon and Pumbaa mm-hmm. and a lot of that is the voice acting alone not even but they I, I think the meerkat has some more human elements to it naturally i think that's why there was a show on like discovery channel of just like meerkat family or whatever and oh, they're, they're huge over here yeah yeah and so meerkats are expressive and so that worked in that character's favor where apparently lions are really boring outside of yeah. killing things you know like they, it's just not they're not emotive they're not expressive and um i i don't agree with some of the things he said to be honest i think the voice acting yeah, sucks uh, I think Donald Glover in particular, who I love, I am mm-hmm. an advocate for Donald Glover in almost every walk of his art, but I, it sounds like he's just reading the lines. It doesn't sound like he's <laughs> acting. Um, and I think that's true of many of the characters. It feels like they're in an isolated sound room and they are simply reading the dialogue and not mm-hmm. interacting with one another. And it, it takes, you already have emotionless characters on screen and then you couple that with basically emotionless voices with, again, the exception of Eichner and, and Rogan, who I think are great. And James Earl Jones is James Earl Jones. He's powerful. He has a powerful voice. Fine. He's he's great. I like John Oliver. Um, I'm a big fan of This Week Tonight or Last Week Tonight, whatever it's called. I love that. I watch it regularly. Um, and I, I didn't get annoyed with his character, but I also didn't, you know, whatever. It's fine. Um, didn't vibe with him, yeah. I have heard a lot of the criticisms about Scar. Having only seen the movie, really, the original maybe once or twice um i don't remember scar that well and so i i didn't dislike scar in this movie um i do think the design of scar is questionable if he's supposed to be this kind of you know fearsome villain he looks like he's a starving lion uh which plays into his personality in this film because they they, he uses that as like his he has just the scraps and whatnot um but it's just like uh you're still a lion i don't think that's how that works but um you know i i the the voice acting again i don't think is very strong but i also the uh there's a joke that i keep hearing other people comment on but it's hard to not point out the you see a lot of bad decisions that seem to have been made about like how to deal with the animals and stuff and then they have the song um oh, i'm gonna forget the name of the song what's the one about when they fall in love um can you feel the love tonight? Can you feel the love tonight? Keyword tonight, done in the middle of the day. Um, <laughs> uh, I, people keep bringing it up, and it's it's hard to shake that. Like that's it's a nitpick, but it does I think point out the attention to detail. Like nobody noticed that the song that has the word tonight in it over and over again. We we put in the daylight where it's not romantic at all because it's the. And it's desert. one of the most recognizable songs of the soundtrack as well. So people would have been waiting for that moment. Agreed. But here's another. You know, this may not get a lot of applause, but Beyonce and Gambino together, 
did not work their voices are doing two different things it doesn't sound like they're in the same song um and i think both of them are talented i like i like beyonce i don't like i don't listen to her music on my own like i don't think i've ever put beyonce on but if a song comes on i've i've enjoyed many um Mm -hmm, and i do listen to gambino a lot although i do prefer his rapping to his singing um i don't dislike his singing it's just i don't generally like r&b i don't like slow slow music as a general thing Mm -hmm. um outside of context of like a film or something but as far as like if i'm putting music on i usually want something upbeat um but i still like him as an artist and that song came on and i was like kind of like you know grimacing at it when i was in the theater i was like this sounds bad like these are two iconic like artists and this is what we got this sounds awful um and yeah that's kind of how i feel about the whole movie i don't think anything is particularly like horrible but i don't think anything works really well i think everything feels vanilla and in like the worst way especially when you do know that so many people love the original and so i was i am very down on the lion king um again i don't think it's bad i just don't think it's necessary i think it is the epitome of a cash grab and it's winning it's winning horribly because they are making so much money on this movie that they don't deserve to be making um this kind of box office with because again they technically already got your money for it you saw it in a better version of it um I would have rather them re-release the animated for the 25th anniversary than, uh, is it right? It's 94, right? 94, yeah. Yeah, so 25 years, I would rather have got a re-release of the animated movie, um, rather than this, this version, um, or let the animals have those human characteristics. It would have been so much more engaging. Um, and then, like you said too, they added 30 minutes and I I can't even tell you how, because they're, you know, like there's at least two or three scenes that that you could easily trim from this movie for sure um but yeah i i don't plan on rewatching this um i of their live action adaptations i still think cinderella is the best um i don't like the beauty and the beast adaptation very much i don't like this one jungle book was fine i thought the kid actor was mediocre in that though and it did kind of drag the movie down um i hate maleficent and like the sequel looks horrible (laughs) and um there's something else that i'm forgetting but you know i hope mulan is good it, it, to me mulan sounds like it's gonna be good because they're totally going in a different direction um i've never seen the animated movie mulan I, i'll probably watch it before i see the live action um but you know like we're supposed to get a little mermaid at some point uh dumbo was not great earlier this year you know i forgot yeah, about that one almost yeah. completely that was this year and i forgot about it you know that was that was two months ago yeah um and there was there was another one right or is there another yeah. one coming out uh we've got things like frozen twos coming out but oh yeah well you know it, it's whatever um i i am a big fan of moana um and i i do i actually love little mermaid i think little mermaid is one of the best soundtracks ever in the disney library um, Under the Sea for my money, one of the best songs. I, I love it. Um, so I'm I'm nervous about a live action, not because they cast an African American girl to play Ariel. I'm fine with that. Um, it's a fictional character. Everybody, calm down. Yes, well said. Uh, uh, but um, just because I haven't liked the live action movies, like what are they gonna are they gonna ruin it? Like, um, are they gonna oh. try to recreate it shot for shot? Which and also Aquaman. Aquaman taught me that 
underwater movies look stupid. People underwater look dumb. Like, because every time they were underwater in Aquaman, I was laughing. I was like, this looks awful. I don't yeah, want to watch it. Patrick Wilson looks ridiculous underwater, I he found out. He totally does. And, like, there's a part where he has to move a little bit, and he just, like, kind of swims up. And I was like, this this looks ridiculous. Like, I can't, I can't even do this. hair has no texture or definition to it. It's just, like, this yeah. solid mat of hair. So if that's what Little Mermaid's going to look like, I'm already going to be cool. checked out. Um, so, yeah, that that's my take on The Lion King and the whole live-action adaptation thing. Um, please, Disney, there are tons and tons and tons of movies that haven't been written or haven't been made that would probably be better than these live-action adaptations you're doing. I know it won't get you the billions in the box office that you're looking for, but, man, you've got so much money. You can totally have a whiff now and again, right? Like They, they could have made no money on multiple films and still turn a profit because of the the theme parks. You know what the I mean? Merchandise. Like, yeah, the so stores. Yeah, it's like just just give give some of these indie films more of a chance. Give these you know new stories a chance, um, or you know what, make a sequel. Like because I was I was down on Toy Story four, and it won me over yeah. so much. Oh god, yeah. So you know, I, I'm I'm up for that. But just taking what you've done and then doing the same again, but with a different technology, isn't enough. Uh, you got to do something else. So. Hopefully Mulan will go that route because I they everything I've heard about Mulan they're changing a lot, so yeah. I'm hoping that it's going to be its own thing like same yes same character similar story but its own entry into that and that's how I felt with Cinderella too I think Cinderella it's a very familiar fairy tale and they did a version of it that had not been done exactly like that before and it worked for me um, and that's Kenneth Branagh who is a director very hit or miss for me you know like he's done some he's done some not so good movies uh midnight on the orient express and thor not so great <laughs> but all right um oh, i'm done well, with I, was, I, was, I was willing to accept that this version could be better before it came out i was willing to sit there and say if i watch this you know this could be this could you know be brilliant because i've got everything going for it why can't why shouldn't it be but yeah there's it, like you say there's nothing majorly wrong with it there's just nothing majorly right with it and I've questioned why did they cast Beyonce in the lead role of uh, Nala I don't know why other than because she could provide songs for the soundtrack yep. and sell some CDs because yeah no I know a lot of people call her the queen but she's not really she's not a very good actress I don't think and why did they choose her I mean you could say to say well I was to say Donald Glover he acts at least but yeah. he's a very good actor very good actor as well I, I think he's a very good actor choose, yeah he is. Why would they choose Beyonce as a voice actor, actress actor, other than for her name? Which... Whereas Gambino, Donald Glover, yeah, he's you know it's you question whether he's better known for Gambino or for his acting work, but that's because he's multi-talented. Yeah. Uh, and the two of them should like, again, the two of them should have worked well together. You know, two very talented musicians, musical people, but this didn't work. But on your original stories, I mean. They gave us a wrinkle in time. They gave us a nutcracker, a nutcracker, and just the four rooms, and they bombed, man. And I know you say, That's true. you know, they can accept a few bombs, but I, I know you were slightly more up on wrinkle than I was. But yes. they just weren't good films, and they weren't, um, they weren't accepted by the public, which You're makes right. me think maybe they've pretty, maybe I don't know how far into production The Lion King was, but maybe they kind of whispered into Favreau's ear, look, change this up, make the, you know, give them what, give them. A film that I know before, well, like you say, because the Jungle Book was 
subverted slightly, a little bit different. Yeah. Wasn't quite the same. The Lion King pretty much was. And it makes me wonder if the failures of those two films had any bearing on yeah. Lion King. I think maybe they would have come too late, but, you know, the they've, they're trying their own things and it's not coming off. Doesn't mean to say they can't, but, yeah, this film's making money, man. And I can only see, like you say, with Mulan, Little Mermaid, and Frozen 2's going to come out and be a massive hit. So we may probably see a Frozen 3. Um, but in terms of live action, I can only see them doing more. Yeah. Because oh, well, I mean, there's no reason for them not to. Like, well, why exactly would you people not? want them because it gives people, or it should, give people the good vibes they remember growing up. Apart from The Lion King, didn't do that. And I will also, just on a final part, say, everybody who says Disney pays off critics to give a good review, I mean, a film's at just, just over 50% on yeah. RT. And I know that's not the barometer of, you know, what you should hold a film's acclaim to, but, you know, I expected this to be in the 90s just because of the IP, just because it was a Lion King, because I expected it to be at least bloody good. It wasn't, it was just good. And I'm surprised to see that, you know, critics have come out and basically said, you know, they've dismissed this film. Like, completely, like, almost, like, half, mm-hmm. the people, half the critics have seen it have said, you know, they didn't like it. I'm surprised by that. So I think it puts pay to any of those rumours that Disney are actively yeah. paying people to give them good reviews because this is one of the most beloved uh, IPs mm-hmm. of all time and people yeah. are giving... There's a backlash. So, again, critics don't like it, but the audience is lapping it up. So well, I think the, you're right. I think the, we're the, only going to get more. The irony of it is is that if the critics did love it, they would say what you just said. But if we don't like something, they often will say that we're just haters or we're we're out of touch or there's always they never accept our point of view it's always some reason why it's it's not a valid point of view unless they agree with us in which case completely valid um and you know i i wish um because i i did like wrinkle in time i don't think wrinkle in time is perfect by any means but i thought it was there's some cool stuff there and it was it's a compelling story so i was really i think the story saved it for me and i think there were some good performances and there were some bad performances in it for sure but um but my thing is yes it failed but think about iron man and look at the the landscape of the comic book movie when iron man came out there was the nolan trilogy yep and then there was a bunch of very gimmicky schlocky horror uh, not horror um, you know the, the the blades and the uh, the regular Spider-Man before the Amazing Spider-Man and, and the X-Men films as well. The X-Men films and Iron Man takes this real serious approach. Like Iron Man, the first half hour or so is slow and deliberate, you know, and it's like nothing else that existed. And they took a chance and look what it built. You know, the cinematic universe is a. I'm going to use the word because it's it's an accurate description. It's a marvel of film <laughs> it should not exist it, it it doesn't make sense that a a franchise with that many movies that mostly work i mean yes there's a few duds but for the most part it works and not, yeah not everybody's gonna like them not everybody like comic books comic books were a niche market in the beginning you know yes. it's only since iron man and really since spider-man since the Tobey Maguire spider-man that comic books became more mainstream yeah, um, I mean, I'd, I'd throw in that the, uh, the first X-Men film really sure. set, really opened the door to what a comic book movie could be, Yeah, I think. And so, you know, Iron Man was a risk for Marvel and for Disney, even though I don't think Marvel was under Disney yet when Iron Man came. I think it, I think they bought it afterwards, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, but still, my point, Disney, if you're happening to listen to this, is even at, one, if you fail, 
your company is too gigantic to really fail. Like, yes, you'll take a little loss, but you're going to have another Pixar movie come out or you'll have another Marvel movie come out that will save you. I think you need to dedicate at least a quarter of your movies every year to new properties. And some will fail, but when one lands, it will land. And, like, there's plenty of evidence to that. I mean, it, it there's Disney's made some really great stuff, and they've made some really bad stuff. Think um, of the spin-off opportunities as well for merchandise, TV sure. shows, and that, which can come off from, from an original idea. Yeah. And, again, at some point, all of these ideas were original. When The Lion King came out, it was not based on an existing property, although there is a lawsuit of um, the white lion or something like that that was like a foreign animated film so maybe not entirely true maybe it was completely plagiarized and stolen but assume it wasn't it was an original property when it came out it wasn't based on a fairy tale like cinderella snow white or whatnot um and look what it did that it's got so much love 25 years later that this movie's making money even though most people can admit it's mediocre um so was, yeah. is Frozen original? Was that an original ta- uh, Disney tale? My understanding, yes, uh, it yeah, was not based on what a. You can do. Yeah, and Frozen's great. Like, I, it got played out unfortunately because it was so popular. And that song, yeah, yeah, but it is great. It was great. when I saw it, I was amazed because I kind of went in. I just went because my wife and daughter were going, and I was like, whatever. Um, <laughs> that's also how I saw Maleficent. Maleficent, I walked uh-huh. out angry that I'd gone. I walked out of Frozen like, wow, that was actually really good. I really liked that. And they're going all Empire Strikes Back for the sequel. They're taking it down a darker turn by the Yeah, and, and to the Marvel Universe, it feels, because it's got like a superhero origin story going on. But mm-hmm. all right, I'm done with Lion King. Let's move on. We're going to yeah, get into our on. last movie of the month. Um, and I think I think this is one of my most anticipated films of the year um, because I have seen all eight of this director's other films. And we're talking about Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time dot 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 in Hollywood. Um, which is the official IMDb title, but depending on where you look, they the ellipses gets dropped on like ellipses was dropped by me, yeah, yeah, and they're dropped on Rotten Tomatoes as well. Um, but if you look on on IMDb, the the ellipses are there. But uh, stars the big three in this movie: Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie is how I'm gonna say it. I've heard Robbie, I've heard Robbie. I don't know which one is right. Robbie. Um, also stars uh, Emil Hirsch, who has been hit or miss for me, but I think he's really good in this movie. Uh, Margaret Qualley, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Julia Butters, who is one of my favorite parts of this movie, um, Austin Butler, Dakota Fanning, and a very unprecedented performance yeah. for her, uh, Bruce Dern, who I always love, and Big Tuna was like real close to getting the interview the other day, and it fell through, yeah. disappointed um, for him, not so much for me, I didn't have the opportunity. Mike Moe, uh, who is probably the most controversial uh, performance in the movie uh, if you listen to other people yeah. uh, and the last performance we're going to see of Luke Perry if I'm not mistaken um, uh, this is his last uh, role yeah and then Film Al-, role, yeah. Al Pacino in a uh, surprise because he hasn't been doing a whole lot um, so him showing up uh, for this was pretty cool um, critics have been very happy with this movie 85 on Rotten Tomato 84 on Metacritic so just one point difference there um, I uh, I am a big Tarantino fan but I also kind of acknowledge that um, he he has, you know, a, a thing. He does his does his thing, and he's gonna do his thing, and it, it doesn't always work. I don't know if his messages always come across the way maybe they're intended. Um, but I I tend to like his movies. Um, 
I, I'm a big fan of Pulp Fiction. I I wasn't when I saw it because I saw it like a year or two after it came out and I was too young. And also, um, the, there is a sequence in Pulp Fiction that involves a gimp that hit, bothered me to my very core for years. Um, and I wasn't a big Kill Bill fan at first uh, because of a similar moment with a, a rape-related thing that it bothered me to my very core. Um it, it wasn't until I was older that I was able to kind of understand it wasn't um, I, I was able to look at it from a different perspective and what Tarantino was saying about the, the things rather than it just being a thing um, that said um, I, knew, I knew very I thought I knew more about the Helter Skelter murders and I don't know if that's the right term or not actually to be honest um, proving my point I knew very little about this mm-hmm. um, I know who Charlie Manson is and that was the big thing and I knew I, I guess that I, I listen to a lot of podcasts about movies that are coming up and things like that so I'm always kind of aware of, of plot and synopsis and I knew that this Tarantino was doing a Charlie Manson inspired film and apparently some people did not know that so I don't know if me saying that now is considered a spoiler it shouldn't be because again i knew that going in and if you know that margot robbie's character is sharon tate a real life person where our other two big leads dicaprio and brad pitt are playing fictional characters that are inspired by real life actors um well real life actor and real life stuntman but not directly uh, correlating to anything and all of those those most of the jobs that they have in the movie are fictional as well as like the, the tv shows and movies that they're working on are not real but um i had a blast with this movie for the most part particularly DiCaprio and Brad Pitt I am yeah. I am a big Brad Pitt fan hands down I, I've been a big fan I, I I just find him to be awesome in almost every movie like there's a few movies where I don't love him but mostly I love Brad Pitt if he's in something and I am a DiCaprio fan pretty much throughout his career um, I had a, a rivalry with him that he didn't know yeah. about when I was in high school, early college, uh, when all the this. girls were dreaming over him, uh, I was very jealous, um, and so I didn't like him out of spite. I can see that. And so it took a while, but um, when I started Burke Reviews, uh, Re- The Revenant was about to come out, and so I went on a binge of the big DiCaprio films that I had skipped, uh, and there were some big ones. Like, I had never seen What's Eating Gilbert Grape all the way through. I had not seen um, Catch Me If You Can, the Spielberg collaboration with Tom Hanks. Um, and there was like one other one that I had not seen that was a, a big one. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I love DiCaprio. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, and this movie, they just work for me so well, um, that almost anything else in the movie, I can kind of overlook because I love these two guys so much in this film. Um, I do think he makes some choices with the inclusion of Sharon Tate that I kind of feel like doesn't make sense. Um, because I do feel the story is supposed to be about these two fictional guys mm-hmm. and what's happening in the periphery around them is the Tate story. And I, I, I think she gets a lot of screen time that doesn't make sense because of that. And I think it would have been more impactful to have her more in, on the edge or on the periphery and only seeing the world through DiCaprio or through Pitt's characters and never cutting away from them to go to Tate. And that is a choice. Obviously, I think most people would agree Tarantino is... Um, better suited to make that choice than I am given <laughs> well I mean he's made nine movies but um, I've made zero uh, you're at a least, teacher. yeah but I, I have studied film quite a bit and I and I again 
um this movie in a way reminded in that what i'm describing reminds me of life of brian the monty python film yeah um where you follow brian's uh who was born on the same day as jesus just four mangers over and how his life parallels um <laughs> and growing in the shadow of the the savior and i think that would have worked for the story that we get i think it would have worked really really well to keep her more of an ancillary periphery character than give her those moments um where we see her now that could be i'm misinterpreting what his point is and i've heard some good arguments as to why she's included the way she is um and part of it being that uh he feels she's what happens to her in real life he feels overshadows her career and Mm -hmm. she's often overlooked as an actress and he's like paying tribute to her but i don't i didn't feel like that was that comes across strong enough if that's what he was going for um but overall i i really want to see this movie again i actually i'm hoping to catch it at the theater one more time before it leaves um this is only the second tarantino film i got to see in the theater i saw hateful eight and this that's it everything else i've had to see on home uh video um it just never came close enough to me when i was younger or i was too young to go to the theater to see like pulp fiction um but uh i i enjoyed this film i i don't think i think it's in the middle of his his filmography for me um but that's not a bad thing again it's only nine films and there if there's if you're putting them in order there's going to be a the last one i like all of them there isn't a tarantino film that i don't like Mm -hmm. um but i do have like stronger feelings towards others but this one i'd say maybe like four or five probably is where it's sitting for me um how did you feel about it um pretty similar about about the manson controversy I think that kind of hung over the movie quite a lot because I think a lot of people misconstrued that this film was going to be about yeah. uh, the Manson murders, which is something which, I mean, excuse the pun, please do. It's been done to death now. It's it, We get so many crap horror films about mm-hmm. poor Sharon Tate um, and how many more times can they find ways to you know re-murder these people. And I think a lot of people thought Tarantino was going to make like a black comedy about the murders, which he didn't, which is good. And I, I, I appreciate the fact that they that they didn't glorify the Manson family or anything like that. Um, uh, and in terms of DiCaprio, I get it. You know, John was kicked out of the theatre for cheering and whooping when Rose didn't make room for him on that board in Titanic. <laughs> I, it's a story that infiltrated the UK press. But, um, yeah, I think... I, I, I hear you about Sharon Tate and Marco Robbie, but I think it was... I think she was key in the film. Because for what she got to do, she was just shown as this kind of yeah. gentle, free spirit. She was this like sweet person, and sure. the Mansons uh, or the the cults. Again, we don't go spoilers. When we're, you know when they're kind of alluded to or shown, that is what they are. They are alluded to as like that rotten a uh, symbol. They're a symbol of the rotten undercurrent of what of you know the fake uh, compared to the schmaltzy side of Hollywood. Whereas the whole film is about two you know aging an actor and a stuntman who are trying to keep up with Hollywood as the golden age is, you know, moving into something, something new, culture's changing, everything's changing. And there's this darker undercurrent, which actually, you know, is pulsating beneath it, which is the Manson's. And I think Sharon Tate was a kind of middle ground between that. And again, I could see Tarantino's point of view because, you know, she was seen as, you know, one of these up and coming stars, you know, a real next big thing type thing. And of course, you know, tragically that never came to light. So by showing her in that light, just showing her as a free spirit, that that's far better 
and some of these other crap films about the actual events itself, the incident, the murders itself, could ever want to be. But True. in terms of the film, same as you, man. I had an absolute field day with this film. I thought it was great. For the most part, I think it's about half an hour too long. I really do agree. Think. I agree and with that. Tarantino has always had a problem, I think. Not with his run times, with editing. And I mean that, that certain films, I mean like The Hateful Eight, some films are so long that you could plausibly cut some of the bits out of it and not lose any of the quality. Um, but, you know, it's not unusual for Tarantino to have a film which is, you know, going way past two and a half hours. This is two hours and 40-odd 40, 40 minutes. But I thought it was great. Mm. The core of the movie, which is Rick and Cliff, which is uh, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, it's like a, it's like a whole sort of buddy comedy type feel between them. Yeah. They are so good, and they got that. So they they perform like that real old macho masculinity of the time so well, and they've got that movie star quality about them. I thought they were great. Um, you know, you, you get like you mentioned the alumni, the Tarantino um, cast appear. Michael Mann appears again as usual. Margaret Qualley, Margaret Qualley, ugh, Margaret Qualley was good. I like her as an mm-hmm. actress. I've been, since she was in the Nice Guys and a few other things recently. She's very good. Mike Moe, yep, one of the standout scenes of the film, for better or worse, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he does what he needs to do in it. But, I, yeah, compared to his previous output, I think I don't think this is quite as punchy or memorable, if you will, but I think it's... Because I think it's a lot more... How do I put it? Because this is Tarantino. Mature? I think it's more, more patient, I think. Yeah. In, it's, it's less showy, I think. Than I can agree with that. I don't feel like films. the there's, like super memorable lines I mean no, I've only seen it no. once but um, you get, you know, there are some which made me laugh and some which are fun especially uh, yeah. what, how some of the things they say to Brad Pitt's character but I mean all of the conventions and tropes that Tarantino has in his films are here so like you know like the, the camera techniques and where characters are placed in regards to objects which seem to be a thing in all of his films but I think he also the way he subverts the experience as well is quite good. It doesn't, it, you know, it, the story chops and changes. You get quite, you get one little emotional little scene and sort of two thirds of the way through as well, which is quite raw and different for Tarantino. Involves DiCaprio's character, and yeah. uh, the ending is bonkers. The in, in my, I'm not going to again. I no way am I going to say what happens at the ending. All I will say is the audience I was with, and I'm just we're, again, we're, we're, this is Britain, England. The audience I saw this with, they were they were in raptures, man. At the ending, they were cheering, they were hollering. It was. It was mental, but um, listen. Once this, this, I had a great time with this film. It's mm-hmm. a bit too long, which isn't always a bad thing. But there are times in this film where stylistically it looked like Tarantino was just, you know, riffing a bit too much. But yeah, this is apparently going to be his penultimate film. If it is, it ain't a bad one at all. I don't think so at all. Pitt and DiCaprio together are great. I think I love Tarantino looking back to a time of which he clearly has a great reverence for. Yes, but big time. Big I time. I thought this was marvelous. I was looking forward to this, and mm-hmm. there are t- I, I like Tarantino. I appreciate all of his films, even if I don't like them all. So I don't think. Yeah. I think I think that Hateful Eight. I you know I can give it a pass on. I wasn't overly enamoured by. See, Django I love Hateful Eight. I see. I didn't mind it. Django Unchained and Glorious Bastards, great time. Um, obviously, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. I'd probably say this film was. I think it shares most in common with someone like Jackie Brown of the films that he's done. See, I'd say. Jackie Brown's in my top three. Um, I, I love that, but it's it's got the like detective it. noir well, vibe to it, which really hits my uh, my taste buds, um, so to speak, when it comes to film. Um, yeah. But, I, I mean, if I had to pick, I, I think the obvious 
least film for me is Death Proof, but not in a like I I enjoy Death Proof, but I also think it has like the least going on. It's just it's it's an experiment in the grindhouse genre, and it it's that. But that's it. Like I, I don't walk away like needing to talk about. It. I think Kurt Russell's amazing in that movie. Yeah, but yeah. um, you know, as far as like the Tarantino oeuvre, that to me is the obvious. Drop it down to the bottom. Um, I preferred Kill Bill Volume Two to Volume One. I think I did anyway. I I'm I just rewatched them like a couple of years ago. I need to rewatch them again. I don't know. Um, I kind of look at it as a as this entirety. And the last time I watched it, I did yeah, watch yeah. them back to back. Um. But I, I, Inglorious, I think might be my favorite. I need to rewatch it again. Um, there's, I think some of my favorite moments are in Inglorious, and then Pulp Fiction. I know it's very trite to say it's like the best, but it's got so. I, I'm a big Sam Jackson fan, and few performances of his are better than him as Jules, and that's, I love oh, I Jules so much. So it makes it makes it hard for me not to say that's my favorite. Um, plus, I am a big Bruce Willis fan. Proof in the point that I love Hudson Hawk, <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, and then Travolta's amazing in that movie. Which how many movies of Travolta's can you say that about? You know, like <laughs> after Pulp, since Pulp Fiction, anyway. <laughs> yeah, especially since Pulp Fiction. So, but Once Upon a Time, um, DiCaprio really gets uh, like he gets to showcase so much in this movie, yeah. um, and like he just has to act within a film. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. an actor. He's playing an actor, you know, and then he... So, you like, Tarantino gets to shoot, like, sitcoms, or not a sitcom, like, old-school TV shows, like, westerns mm-hmm. and stuff, and that's... It's kind of a cool experiment for him. Um, I would say this movie's plot is is very lacking, and that's not a bad thing, because a movie doesn't have to be plot-driven, but this one kind of isn't, and then the third act really, like it jumps ahead in time quite a bit and more i didn't really like the use of voiceover yeah felt a bit like it's filling in for the story it did and also they use kurt russell to do the voiceover and he's in the movie (laughs) and so it's like why would why am i hearing a guy who i've seen in the film narrating and it's not it's not that character narrating it's a different iteration and again um, Tarantino's falling in this with his later career because he does this in Hateful Eight after the intermission too, mm-hmm, where yeah, yeah. he does the voiceover and it's like you didn't used to do that. Why are you like relying on voiceover to fill in the the gaps? Um, and when you talk about this movie also feeling thirty minutes too long, it's like, well, how long would his original cut have been if he didn't use the voiceover? Because the voiceover fills in a lot of exposition. Yeah, it's right, and it's a t- it's a time jump as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and and it's. I think he he establishes the voiceover at the very beginning of the movie, but then it goes away completely until the third act, and then yeah. it's like it's sporadically dropped in, and I, I just think it was lazy, and that's you know um, that's a preference that's is I, and I'm not one of those critics who says never use voiceover. Um, sometimes I think voiceover works really really well. I think the voiceover um, version of Blade Runner is the better version because half the oh. time in Blade Runner I don't know what's going on, <laughs> so the voiceover really helped me. But Rick Deckard acting inappropriately around women. Yeah, I'm what's like, happening? <laughs> what's going on? What's happening? Um, so how did you, how did your story how did your screen react to that third act? Because again, mine went bonkers, and it doesn't often happen often happen in the UK other people listening from my homeland might tell me otherwise but the screens I go to uh, Avengers movies aside there's not that interaction you get uh, certainly in the United States um 
are we talking um i God, they're so hard to get into specifics i would say like the very end of the third act um yeah, yeah. they were they were laughing and, and interacting with what was going on on screen yeah, yeah. and i would say mostly in kind of a i, I hate to because i think americans are already painted as violence mongers um but i would say they were enjoying uh maybe too much in in some ways you know it's that's like, exactly it yeah that's what we had as well but um but again i guess when you know who those people are and like what they did in in reality it's hard not to um i can't remember uh the critic's name but she was on an episode of slash Filmcast when they reviewed this film and um she was a she's a really like almost like you could argue as a scholar of the manson murders and cool. so um she took she knew more of like the details like i after the movie was over i had to like read up on the the murders and who they were and how how it went down to really get what tarantino had done um at the end uh because i didn't know any of the details um so reading the details i was like i was more i was impressed with what tarantino was able to do and what he included and i feel like if you knew those details you would have really had a reaction because it would be like oh man i can't believe he did that thing um but i didn't know that thing so i couldn't have that reaction so i read a wicked article great article uh yesterday i think it's something like uh, 18 things that tarantino got right uh, in once upon a time in hollywood uh, and most of it is specifically around kind of the manson side of it and it's really interesting to see these little detail not all of it because some of it was um things like the sets they use and that, but so many little details that Tarantino got spot on, which apparently, you know, to the untrained eye, you wouldn't necessarily see, and some of them were Manson-related. That um, You know, he got absolutely spot on, and I think some of them relate to, obviously, that, that the cult that, and how they're um, portrayed in the film was basically spot on to people who were around at the time. So it's fairly authentic, obviously, not all of it, but how they're initially portrayed and, you know, the, the, pe- the people within it. It's all authentically done, which is... It shows that Tarantino did his homework, and I think he really did, because this film really vibes with the time period. It really looks good. It looks like it's set back then. Tarantino and the DOP are having such a great time, and, and all the filmmakers coming up with these sitcoms, these westerns, the posters, um, the ideas and names, they're so good, um, that the way that they're uh, portrayed... So you can tell that Tarantino, again, all of his films seem to be labours of love, but it seemed to be quite personal, this film, to him, because we know of his reverence to the Golden Age and the older days of film, and he really gets to let loose here. And I've got to say that the names of Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth are just awesome. Cliff and Rick, yeah. your two main characters are great, but yeah, those two together are so good, so good. And I mean, just, just, just to cast completely, we've got Damien Lewis is in there as well. Uh, yeah. Damien does a very small role, which actually links into something that Rick Dalton does later on, which is brilliantly done. Um, there's so much to like about this film. It's just a bit too long, but I didn't dislike it more because it was too long. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I didn't sit there thinking, Agreed. Cut, cut this, cut this, could do about that. It's just afterwards when you think, bloody hell, that's nearly three hours long. You think it could have been a little bit shorter, but hell, and- I, if this is his second to last film, it ain't a bad one to go on and apparently his last one he wants to do a horror film and again he also wants to do star trek so looking yeah. forward to that um and i i would say if if the performances of dicaprio and pitt aren't working for you this movie may not work for you at all because it is a great tip definitely reliant that you like these guys but i like these guys so it works for me um completely 
All right, so that's the big four. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, Stuber, The Lion King, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, but Matt and I like to do real quick reviews, although Matt, like he said, he hasn't been able to see as many movies this month. I've seen quite a few uh, that came out in July. A lot of them are limited release, or um, some are straight to VOD and theatrical the same day. Um, so check those out local. But we're going to just kind of knock these out real quickly um, before we wrap up the podcast. So, um, Matt, you've only seen two why don't you go first and then i'll knock out the others yeah i mean mainly because i mentioned the july in the united kingdom has been barren there hasn't been that many films released and there's only been yeah about seven or eight major films released if that and i mean i've seen yeah and that includes netflix which we're going to talk about now but i've seen seven of the eight films so it wasn't that many but um, i'm glad there wasn't too many because i haven't been able to get out but uh, the first one i saw was um came out just at the end of july and it was the Red Sea Diving Resort. Came straight out on on Netflix, and you know had a had a good little cast to it. Netflix will tell you that about seven billion people probably watch this, but they won't release the analytics to prove that. Um, but it's it's a based on a true story. Uh, back in the 1980s in uh, rural Ethiopia, um, there's a group of Mossad agents trying to get a handful of Ethiopian Jews out of the country and to the you know safety quote unquote safety of Jerusalem. So a real true life story. Um, it could have been a real deep, hard hitting human story, kind of like twelve years a slave level of excellence. But uh, Gideon Raff, who directed this, he's gone for a more simplistic approach. Um, and Chris Evans stars in it, and he's fine in it. Um, but they kind of play on his hero status from another franchise, I think, quite a lot. You know, they make him out to be the big hero of the film. Um, the cast, actually, which includes Michael K. Williams, Greg Kinnear, Ben Kingsley, amongst others, they're all fine. But you know what? They all look a bit, meh. they all look a bit underwhelmed by what they're being asked to do and say. Mm. So there's like what they do is fine, but like you mentioned about the Lion King, it doesn't seem to be an awful lot of passion going into it. But it kind of blasts from action scene to action scene with little nuance, and it looks nice. It's just really depressingly morose. It's, for a thriller, it's not particularly thrilling. So I had high hopes for the Red Sea Diving Resort, but it's uh, it's not particularly very good. I'm going to come out and say that. Yeah, I hadn't even heard of that one. Um, but there you go. Um, and then we both saw, this is the only one we both saw in the minor reviews, uh, Crawl, yeah. which yeah. Matt got a taste of my home state uh, here in Florida. Um, and I got to say, I, I'm not always a big fan of these kind of... Uh, monster like wildlife monster movies um i i jaws is one of my favorite films of all time most of these movies feel like wannabe and they don't get what jaws is really doing um a great example is 47 meters down from a couple years ago uh just a travesty although apparently the new one is supposed to be actually entertaining according to big tuna um okay but crawl i went in very low expectations and i ended up loving i had such a good time watching this movie uh the right runtime by the way hour 27 minutes like short sweet knows exactly what it is and um man pretty much from the get-go i'm in uh i like the performance from i think kaya scadelario um directed by alexander asia or aha i'm not sure um i have not seen his other movie but high tension is supposed to be really really good that is very good um, I have not seen it, so I have no take on it. And I guess he's done a few other films, but Barry Pepper as the dad, Dave. Um, man, this movie I was on the I was 
like in it the whole time i jumped a few times even when i saw the scares coming it still got me but this movie's tension is great and and then it's laughable at moments and it not in like a bad way like it's it's fun it's a fun summer horror film that just works and i had a good time and i think you did too i did this you know it's one of those alligator or crocodile films generally tend to be utter rubbish yeah so cruel didn't have a high bar to hit but yeah i had a blast of this man it's proper kind of low budget it looks like it should be straight to dvd but man i had a great time it's 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 not outstanding of course it doesn't it doesn't have to be it but it in it's it's a great fun little claustrophobic uh claustrophobic horror thriller it's just meant to scare you it's meant to make you feel uneasy and like john said you get like five ten minutes of exposition at the beginning to kind of set up the characters and then boom straight into it never going to florida in my life forget ever again <laughs> that's what i've got to put up for but yeah scodelaria i think she dives in she really commits to the role in a role which could be she you know some actors may have just given maybe not their role but she really goes in for it barry pepper's good they work well together and this is the, this is the film where if for me if you're going to get a couple of your buddies round, get some beer or gluten-free keto beer and pizza and just have a good evening and just watch this film because it yeah it'll make you jump it'll make you laugh and it's only an hour and a half long and it absolutely flew by it's a snappy runtime if you will yeah. um i i had a great time and yeah alexandra Arja, he, he directed high tension or switchblade row match or hot tension great great um french horror film from the new wave hor- uh, french horrors but uh beginning of the 2000s so it's good to see he's come on to develop these kind of films he also did the hills of eyes and that i think as well but cruel 56 million dollars says people liked it and i had a good time of it as well so to knock out the other movies that i saw i think i already talked about midsummer because I, I think i saw it in june if i'm not you, mistaken you, yeah you kind of gave a mini review last last month yeah and i, I was going to wait to talk to about it with you but you haven't been able to see it so uh again i really enjoyed it i like ariaster a whole lot this movie is very different from hereditary but he still manages to give you some visuals that will stick with you and haunt you forever um and i think that I is a sign of a really good filmmaker i am very curious to hear your take because you are definitely more of a horror person than i often yeah, and am. i enjoyed hereditary i really did enjoy it. i want to rewatch it again though without the buffoonish stupid audience i saw it with i want to see it in the dark mm-hmm. by myself but i was so looking forward to this but i've literally been unable to get out to see it and it's my biggest disappointment of the year not being able to see this film so far well and then i caught the art of self-defense uh, with small indie film stars Jesse Eisenberg, Alessandro Navi- Navola, uh, Iomegan Poots, who I'm a huge fan of because of Green Room and uh, her w- other movie with Anton Yelchin, um, Fright Night, the remake with Colin Farrell. Um, but it's directed by Riley Ster- Stearns. Uh, this movie's, if you, I, I'm going to steal this from Big Tuna because I can't figure out a better way to describe this because I think he nailed it. This is Wes Anderson meets Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, Ooh. Yeah, it's that kind of, like, it, the dialogue feels very Lanthimos-esque. Um, even some of the, the violence in this film feels Lanthimos-esque. But there is this uh, aesthetic quality, this muted kind of color palette that reminds of Wes Anderson. Um, it, it's a dark comedy, and man, it mostly worked for me. Uh, I, I think there's a few things that I was, like, unsure of its commentary on ma- ma- uh, male toxicity. Um I can't tell if it's advocating it or if it's de- denouncing it. It kind of feels like it's doing both. Um, but Eisenberg's performance is really, really solid. And so is uh, Megan Poots, who I just, again, think is great. Um, and she needs more work. Um, if you get a chance to see it, I definitely recommend it. Uh, especially if you like dark comedies. Um, next, I actually saw this movie 
at Tribeca, but I haven't. I wasn't allowed to talk about it because it was on. Um, it wasn't at the film festival. I saw it while I was at Tribeca for mm-hmm. a, a really early screening. It's a new Lynn Shelton film, um, Sword of Trust, that stars Mark Maron, John Bass, uh, Michaela Watkins, and Jillian Bell. And I love this movie. This is in my top five right now for the year. Um, if you are a fan of wow. anything Mark Maron has done, this will be that great for you because it is the best use of Mark Maron I've seen outside of maybe Glow. I think he's amazing in Glow. And I think here they uh, perfectly cast, uh, perfectly used in this film. Um, I am up and down on Maron. I, I think he's overrated as a podcaster. And that's, I don't know if he can kill my career by saying that, but I, I do. I, I like him as a podcaster, but he does have his flaws of yeah. disagreeing with everything the, the guest says. Yeah, and that's like it to me. That makes it hard to listen to because he's just like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Yes. Um, I do like him. Yeah, and I, well, that's the thing. I don't dislike him. I just feel like he is when people when you say podcast, Marin's one of those like top ten people people know yeah, as yeah. a podcaster. And I don't think he should be there. I think there's better podcasts than what he does. Again, not that his are bad. I just think too too high on the list but he gets good guests so he does get the best guest um which is again i think where i say overrated because like i'd rather hear that interview with this podcaster but nonetheless that's a preference here though i think he's excellent this movie's really funny and i really want to point out too because jillian bell often doesn't work for me because i think she's a lot like um other improv actresses in comedies they're if they're not reined in by their director um, they they can go wild and they lose the humor. It becomes mm-hmm. a bit, and it's it's not. Uh, you can see the strings being pulled. Um, here, I think Shelton does a terrific job of keeping Bell on point, and Bell's doing a, a little less comedy. It, this is a comedy, but it's a it's more dramedy than comedy. Um, and Bell's uh, restrained, and I think Shelton deserves credit for that because this is I think my favorite time of seeing Bell. Um, not necessarily her funniest performance, but definitely, I think, her best performance I have seen to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, really love this film. If you get a chance to see Sword of Trust, again, highly, highly recommend. Just been looking online to see the UK release. No UK release date yet, but eventually it will just drop out of nowhere, probably yeah. on uh, streaming or something. But it'll or most likely end up on streaming, yeah. If I can, even just on Amazon Prime or whatever, just download it or rent it, um, I'll check it out. Um, I'm going to... I have two more left. Uh, I'm going to start with the one that's, I think, the less of the two by far, um, but I didn't dislike. It's called Driven. Um, I got a screener for this. Uh, it stars um, Jason Sudeikis. Uh, and where is he listed on this? Oh, Lee Pace. Oh, there he is. I didn't see him. Lee Pace is playing John DeLorean, the inventor of the DeLorean. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about this story. So I found it really interesting because of that. Um, it's directed by Nick Ham, who I'm not super familiar with, but uh, Judy Greer, who is an actress who gets uh, short shrift all the time because she's amazing. She gets to do some stuff here, and it's, it's very entertaining. Corey Stoll is an actor I tend to like, but he is kind of one-dimensional in most roles. Um, whether that's typecasting or just his ability, I'm not sure, but I, I generally like him. But uh, this movie's fine. Um, it's, if you don't know anything about the John DeLorean and, and his the craziness that is attached to him and Sudeikis' character, um, you're going to probably be pretty intrigued. The only thing I know about the DeLorean is it, it was turned into a time machine. And, That's all I know about it. Yeah. It looks wicked. It looks cool. Yeah, I think it looks awesome, right? Um, but I didn't know 
all the stuff around it and it's a pretty compelling story the movie is it's lacking at times um it's funny at times for sure because it is like a weird biopic comedy because it's it's some of the stuff is absurd and you're just like what um and i i like sudeikis um sudeikis's humor and uh kind of snarky there's like a level of arrogance with him but it's also this kind of like you can tell it's fake it's a front for like the real self-conscious person that he is and i tend to like that um when he does that in colossal it's different but it's there um i think we are the millers it's very much the the essence of that character and i like his uh delivery he's you know sarcastic it's biting um and it that works for me and driven uh, a lot but overall just i wouldn't say seek it out but if it's on or if it's if again the story itself uh catches your interest which is why i watched it then i say go for it yep i eventually down the line i if i don't, if it doesn't get the full-on book recommendation i don't always rush rush to it yeah yeah and again there's so many other movies like it's not one i say put it on a priority list but yeah. um again unless maybe sudeikis is like one of your favorites then go for it um i don't but, mind i don't mind um jason sudeikis he's the reason i i a little secret matt uh angry birds the movie yep i i actually enjoyed um and it was largely because of sudeikis as red <laughs> i i don't think it's a masterpiece of animation or anything but i i i felt i went in really low expectations also but it i thought it was fine so i'm not against the sequel that's coming out like i'm not super excited about it but i'm i am gonna see it partly because of my my local theater uh if you see that spider-man far from home and men in black international you get all three digital copies for free and i've already seen two of the three so why not get the free copy of spider-man that i really want and then probably never watch the other two but um i think that's i think that's a very good deal and it's a good reason to go watch angry birds too i am um i am though looking forward to hearing what you want to say about the next film because this is this didn't come out until september for us over oh here. wow but i cannot wait to see this film so this is about uh it. the last film i saw in july that came out in july um and it's the farewell uh directed by lulu wang um stars aquafina zima diana lynn uh gill Gil, oh, I'm sorry, there's his name. His name was two lines. It threw me off. Gil Perez Abraham. Um, I'm going to stop before I butcher a bunch of names. Um, <laughs> first thing I want to say about The Farewell is um, I had only seen Aquafina in two other movies prior to this. Uh, Ocean's 8 and um, Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. And I like her in both of those movies. But both of those movies, she's a comedic sidekick and gets very little to do overall in the big uh, essence of the film. So I was apprehensive about her leading a comedy drama and really just her leading a whole film. She's amazing. Um, And I don't think that's overselling it. I think she is a tremendous actress um, who, if given more opportunities, I think we will see a superstar um, because I think she can do it all. And that was the big question is could, can she make you laugh at times in this movie and also make you empathize with her character and what her character is dealing with. And she nails it. Um, she is able to do everything. She is unbelievably charming. And it makes you uh, believe. There's a scene early in the film where she's on a, she's talking to her grandmother on a cell phone. And she's in New York walking down the city street. And a person stops her to do a survey. She's like, hey, ma'am, can you do a survey? And I, I don't know if you've ever been in that position, but I'm... I am like the quick to like shut it down like no I'm busy you know and she has this interaction and she tells the girl like 
um, you know, I'm only doing this because uh, I used to do this job. And then the girl um, asked her, like, uh, what'd you get fired? She's like, no. But she's like, I was about to, though. And it's just, it's so natural and so charming. And it's so disarming because you just see this. Everyone can like this person. Like, everyone is capable of enjoying her around. And uh, it comes across in the screen. She's she's just something special that we don't get enough of um, with some some actors. And I, I am... I'm very excited to see what she does. Now, for this movie, I think this movie's executed almost 100% perfectly. And uh, I saw this with Big Tuna at a screening and also a friend of the show, Brendan. And we all walked out feeling almost identical that this movie is basically flawless. Like there, We had no criticisms wow. that we could find, yet it didn't have that euphoric feeling at the end of a film that you think is a masterpiece you know you know what i mean like okay when yeah, you, yeah yeah when you see something and it's just like you it's like getting off a roller coaster right where you're just like this is the most amazing thing i've ever experienced i want to tell everybody that's missing and i don't know if that's maybe a personal connection to the story that uh, that we're lacking or if maybe it's because of the overall tone of what's happening in the story that maybe it mutes that that passion for it um but yeah i i don't I have nothing negative to say about this film, but at the same time, I wasn't wowed or floored by it to a point that it's like going to be my number one of the year. I still think it's great. I think everyone needs to see it. I think it is. I think there's so many different ways to connect to this. I thought I expected to have certain emotional reactions to this film and none of my expectations ended up being fulfilled, but not in a bad way. Um, it didn't hurt my take on the film, nor did it. Uh, do I feel like the film failed? It's just I was surprised by how the different directions the movie goes, and it's great. Um, the farewell, guys. Uh, if you get a chance to see it, um, definitely do. And obviously, Matt, you have to wait a little while, but it's only uh, just over a month away. Yeah, I think it comes out on September the twentieth or something like that. So it's a month away. So. We'll go and see some of the other films coming out that month. And then I'm absolutely definitely going to go and see this film because the premise of it sounds great. Uh, Like you, I was interested to see how Aquafina or Aquafina could do in a lead role. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, it's kind of got the story which I like. I like those kind of stories. And if they're done well, Mm -hmm. like John's saying, like you're saying, they can be magnificent as long as they have that certain something to them. So it sounds to me like you absolutely appreciated every part of the film yeah but just sort of left with that one that's needing that something um i can't i can't wait to see this i mean i was i was given i was given a street a screener of velocipasta this month and i, I didn't get a chance too. to watch it and review it and i know jb would have done as well so uh, that would have been my extra one but it whether would it have been as good as the farewell no but no. um <laughs> I, I i'm really looking for so yeah i'd like to see sword of trust and the farewell uh, of course, yep. in midsummer as well. But from those from those ones you mentioned, I'm looking at uh, the art of self defense. Um, I'll check it out. But driven, uh, I will check it out one day. But yeah, I'd I certainly mean, like to see the other ones above it. If not, it's fine. Um, I like I said, I got it was one that I get a lot of emails about watching like the Velocipastor. Some I immediately delete and like no, I can't bring myself to do that. But driven caught my attention um, because of the DeLorean and Sudeikis connections. Um, Again, I, I don't think Sudeikis always picks great movies, but he's done some really small indie films that have really clicked with me. 
Um, there's one where he's an author. I'm trying to think of Tumble Down, I think is what it's called. And I really, really like that one a lot. Um, and so I, I tend to, if, if he's in something, I'm always kind of curious, especially if he's in something small budget, because I feel like he does a lot of cool, like indie projects. So, um, that was my motivation for Driven. Again, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's one everyone needs to rush out for. Uh, it is interesting though. And it kind of ties in with, um, that era of the eighties that I knew very little about, like an American made, like the whole drug, like smuggling thing, mm -hmm. um, ties into it in a way that I, I'm just like, I'm kind of fascinated by it. It just feels so surreal that it, it was happening. But, um, I think that's the episode, Matt. I think so. I enjoyed American made by the way. So, um, before, I guess before we crash off the air, July, good, bad, what was the best thing to come out of it? I think there's enough good here to say good. Um, I love Far From Home, and I really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Stuber made me laugh. Um, so even though The Lion King was bothersome, it wasn't really, it's not horrible either. So it's it's a good month, I'd say, uh, overall. Um, a quiet month, though. There's not a lot of other movies that were great. Uh, no. Crawl was the biggest surprise if you had told me a month ago i'd be like praising crawl and telling people they should go watch it i would have laughed in your face so that was a big surprise for me so yeah july solid month yep solid is the word i think i enjoyed once upon a time in Hollywood the most i think uh far from home literally just behind it if not level pegging it wasn't i mean the lion king was still a good film but it's just, it just good didn't enjoy stuba but yeah cruel somebody told me that a b movie about gators chasing uh, stalking people in the basement would be you know up there for one of my favorite films in a month i too would have told you to get off my lawn but i really <laughs> enjoyed it so uh, yeah not a bad month but yeah looking forward to looking forward to next month as always so you can follow us um on our various social medias or go to our websites and read our reviews um i am at burke reviews and at burkereviews.com and matt uh, what I watch tonight.co.uk and across all the socials and uh, you can find us somewhere else now as well yes and that's the important thing um, we are trying to up our our content for bloody awesome so we're, we've started a twitter and instagram so you can follow us um, I think it's bloody awesome movie pod on yes instagram on insta yep and twitter is shorter I forget, I, I, I'm not looking at it and I feel dumb for not knowing this off the top of my head no, no, yeah. Tw Twitter is a a little bit shorter anyway than Instagram, because we've got less to work less to work with. But on Twitter, it's at bamp b a m p underscore podcast. So at bamp is. underscore podcast. And in case you hadn't put the acronym together, bamp bloody awesome movie podcast b a m p. Yes, sir. Um, follow us there. We're gonna start doing uh, some smaller episodes. Uh, where we yep. just kind of talk about reactions to news or trailers or something like that. Um, and those might end up just on Instagram or they might become part of this podcast feed. So if you're already subscribed, you'll automatically get that content. Uh, we're just looking to, to make our transatlantic uh, partnership flourish. And so if you like what we're doing, get ready for more content coming at you. Um, follow us on those social medias as well as our individuals. And uh, get ready for um, August because... Oh boy, lots coming out in August. Is any of it any good? That's the question. This, this is the fun part of movies. It's all subjective. You might love it, I might hate it, and vice versa. But uh, upon, yeah, upon hearing this episode drop, we're going to be we're going to be busting out some more content online, and uh, so keep an eye out for that. All that all part of the podcast feed because we want to get together and talk about other stuff like the trailers that drop, or the news that drops, or casting decisions that drop. Little things like that where we can just come in a little bit shorter and let's have a little chat about it but uh, as for August 
I will I'm not t- entirely excited by it, but stranger things have happened. I won't say any comments on the movies from August. We'll save that for the episode. However, yes. I will say, in preparation for August, I watched Fast and Furious 4 through 8, um, having never seen those uh, prior. Um, I binged all of them in preparation for Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Um, Welcome. You know what? Way more than I ever thought I would. Um, wow. Don't love them. I'm not one of those people who are like the best movie franchise ever, but I had way more fun with them than I ever would have thought. Um, wow. Yeah. Apparently in Fast and Furious 9, Vin Diesel just becomes a car. Um, so I'm just look- I'm looking forward to that. There so... were there were rumors of a crossover with Transformers at one point, so don't make too many jokes because you oh, never man. know. <laughs> Fam- Transformers family, no. Yeah. Um, well, Hobson Shaw, um, I have seen that. So, but yes, of course, it's, that's all for next month. Next month. So come back uh, next month. If you like the show, please remember to rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us. It helps other people find the show. Uh, share us on your social media platforms of your own so people find the podcast. Matt and I, do. it's, it's hard to schedule this because for me, I'm, like, I'm at peak dinner time and Matt's like, it's 11 o'clock for you right now. Coming up at 11 o'clock. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's hard for us to schedule this, but uh, we enjoy our, each other's conversations and thoughts yep. on films, so we make it happen, and we hope you do too. So, thanks for listening. Um, Matt? Yep, thank you, everybody. From me, it's certainly see ya, and keep it bloody awesome. And until next time, keep watching movies. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody.